In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated. Hey, I need the show name, guys. Yay. A podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Coming to you live from the Spider Dome in Roseville, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your incredibly magnanimous host, Tom Sidlachik, and today we are going to discuss the epic film trilogy of Clerks. We're going film by film to break down these three critical masterpieces, ending with the writer and director Kevin Smith's latest film. Joining me for the discussion today are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. hey And the incomparable Mrs. OIO, Phoenix Atlantic. Hello. Welcome to the show, guys. Phoenix, I believe this is the first time you've done back-to-back shows. You're doing your fifth show out of ten this year. What's the uh, turn and burn like for you? Well, uh... <laughs> So it's a surprise, so I guess it was very uh, wheels to the road and go fast. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. Bernsey, you are coming off a very rare month off for you. Is that like paradise or what? I mean, it was the same as always. I mean, I don't know. I'm always doing this, that, or the other thing. I keep myself busy. I do need to point out, though, Phoenix, you missed the obvious joke to say, I'm not even supposed to, to be, be here. here today. That's true. I totally <laughs> missed that. Oh, oh man. We had it all queued up. Got rewind. <laughs> all right, restart the show. Welcome <laughs> to Abbeblebegagabal. <laughs> oh my God, it's happening again. <laughs> Phoenix and I have been pretty busy. We have taken our girls camping. We've gone to a cabin trip. I've started Chrono Trigger, and I've started dabbling with Diablo Two to prepare for a show next year. It's a lot on our plates. Well, it's crazy to see the. Um, you showed me the toggle of Diablo Two, the original versus the remaster it's amazing what they were able to do it is just wild like i'm having a ball like we don't have to play it really for months but like anytime i have a free moment in work like that gaming pc is right next to me i'm like well i have a solid straight hard drive i'll just fire it up real quick (laughs) jump in gain a couple experience point bars and i it's just a delight it's a delight it's been a long time since i've played a diablo game i was debating about jumping into the free-to-play one that what came out in the spring and uh, I don't know. I just never got around to downloading it on my phone. But uh, I don't know. It'll be fun to jump back into the series and uh, and uh, see how some of those older ones hold up, especially with the things that they've done to it to make it better. Uh, I can't wait to do Tetris with my inventory again. Yeah. <laughs> well, inventory Tetris. Just, um, my brother played the mobile game. He's really into that. So he showed us a little bit of it. It would make sense to play the game if you have one of those things that you put your phone in. Like yeah, the with like the sticks and everything yeah. on it. When he was doing it with his fingers, I'm like, oh, it's kind of tedious. But I just don't like playing games on my phone. Like, I don't like playing serious games on my phone. Like, I have a PSP, or I have a Vita, I have a Switch, I have a gaming PC, I have PlayStation, Xbox. Like, I just don't... The phone is just a machine for not answering calls and for texting my friends. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But Diablo 2 is still a timeless classic masterpiece, and I can't wait to dive into it on the show. I mean, camping was fun with a baby, right? Yeah, it was. I Kids mean, did great. They did wonderful. I mean, they ran around. They enjoyed the outdoors. It was a huge relief when they did so well. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's a scary thing taking your kiddos camping for the first time. They're four and one years old, and like you have these nightmares as a parent. It's like, oh, God, is the baby going to cry all night, keep yeah. everyone up, and make mm-hmm. the whole experience miserable for everyone? But um, no, it... 
it went great. Yeah. Uh, thanks to the wounded warriors who brought my dad camping and let him bring an entire host of his family with. And it was just a really great experience. We went camping in Cross Lake, Minnesota. Yeah, which was fun. I didn't realize it was like the National Loon Center of the state. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and they'd take you out on boat. Loons are my favorite birds, so it was fun to hear them on the lake. But um, And then it was interesting with the, the, uh, Hazel. Because her toe flipped up on us, so we had to come Oh, to yeah, that's... We need to set that up a little bit. <laughs> she had dropped a heavy toy on her toe, and, yeah. like, her toenail turns black and blue. I'm like, I've never smashed a fingernail. I've, I've never, never lost either. a finger or toenail, so I don't know what's going to happen. Like, it was black and blue, then it wasn't so black and blue, and so I was like, all right, well, this is just fixing itself. Magic parenting, great. <laughs> well, it's just interesting, because Hazel loves to go barefoot. She's not a shoe person. We have to get her used to shoes now, but... um. So she was walking around the campsite barefoot, and of course, dirt, I'm noticing, is getting between the toenail mm-hmm. and the toe, and I'm like, oh. So I gotta get the shoes on her, and so I put the shoes on, and then we get ready for bed, and it turned out the shoe flipped yeah. her nail up, and it's like... 90 uh, degrees. It <laughs> <laughs> just makes my skin crawl. Yeah. <laughs> imagine if you had created that human being. <laughs> So we're just like, what do we do? I, I called to talk to my dad. He's like, well, you could try to clip it off yourself or try to bend it down, try to clean it out and bend it down. And she doesn't want us to touch it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just like, let's just do a urgent care. I just have someone else deal with it. <laughs> so. I just envision after like trying to figure out how to clip it off yourselves, Tom's just sitting there with like a camp hatchet being like, how am I supposed to do this? I don't know how this works. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> But she did great once I got to urgent care. You know, Baba Black Sheep, and she just laid there passively. They did. They cleaned the toe out. They clipped it. Didn't move, and the doctor's like, oh, she's the best one today. This is my highlight. (laughs) (laughs) And Daisy got tons of stickers because they were so good. Mm -hmm. The nurse is like, do you want another one? Here, take another one. Take another one. (laughs) So it was at least it ended on a high note. So yeah, our kids were major troopers. Also, like a four-hour drive, and they did awesome with it. Yeah. Well, if you like this incredible banter, follow us on social. <laughs> Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow Joey at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. Follow Feeny at PhoenixSidLogicOIO on Instagram and follow your titular host at TomSidLogicOIO <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. Don't make me laugh. That's at TomSidLogicOIO on Twitter and Instagram. You said titular. You also follow the show at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. Well, what is in the new reboot? What was this handle again? Uh, the lawyer? Um, uh, Like Dick Wolfer? Yeah, something was on Grindr or something. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta watch that, finish that movie. <laughs> yeah, we watched, was it just the trailer or was it the first moments of the Jane Silent first Bob reboot? First moments of the new reboot movie. Yeah. yeah, really compelling. I am more interested in seeing that movie than I ever was in my entire life. If you want to support the show, you can support us at <laughs> patreon.com slash OIO. It's easy. You go to Patreon, you set your pledge, enter your credit card info, and you're all set. What you get for your support is an exclusive invitation to the Patreon appreciation party every summer. You get a giveaway item at the party. This year it was coffee mugs. Last year it was pint glasses. And you get an entry for the grand prize at the party. This year it was an Xbox Series S. Last year it was a JB5. Do you see the funny thing with the show notes? Oh, you did the, you did <laughs> yeah. the whole thing with the yeah. find and replace again? Yeah. So uh, last year we gave away a PS5, this year an Xbox Series S, and that it doesn't matter what level your contribution is. Like We can all afford different amounts, so if you have the means to support the show, we greatly appreciate it, and uh, we 
give away some pretty baller prizes at this party every year. And we thought about maybe a table. Yeah, like a legit gaming table. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I still want to do the thing that I've talked about that I haven't mentioned on the Yeah, air. no. Well, it's a Steam Deck. So, like, we're kicking around either Steam Deck or Steam... <laughs> Steam Deck. Either <laughs> Steam Deck or gaming table. And, like, either way, someone's going to walk away stoked. And I'll probably go to, like, one of my non-gaming friends who is kind <laughs> enough to support the show anyways. John, John Steam Deck with his great Games of Wrath? Yeah. Is that what that would be? Yeah. yeah. That would be perfect. <laughs> if I win it, that's what I'll name it. My John Steam Deck. No. Yeah, perfect. Well, Bernsey, if you had to choose between those two prizes, which would it be? Um, I guess it would depend. Probably like, the basic level Steam Deck. I mean, well, right. Actual retail value of both is around four hundred and fifty dollars. So my goal would be by by like that time next year, I would have like a better table for gaming. So then I wouldn't need that. But I probably won't have a, a John Steenbeck by that point yet. So, um, so I would probably go with that. But then again, those like have like the weird lead time of like getting on a list, and then eventually you're gonna get approved for that. So that's a little bit logistically more tricky to get. Yeah, yeah. we'll see if it works out. I'm on a list personally right now. Finally, I saw that, like the list was as the longest it's ever been. I'm like, okay, it's time to queue up. It's time to uh, get ready. And we'll see if I actually pulled the trigger when my name gets drawn or not. I haven't actually gotten wife approval yet. So uh, what do you think, honey? <laughs> Putting okay. her on the spot. Tell us about the gaming table that we were looking at. Liz. Well, it was just on Kickstarter. I don't know if you ran across it, but it's the most affordable one out there. Um, I-, I might have at some point. Cause I know I, I don't know, because since I've backed a few things on Kickstarter, I see all sorts of different things. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of the IKEA version of a gaming table. Oh, okay. It's very simplified, but you have the boards to put on top to make it look like a nice table. Mm-hmm. It expands. You can put the coffee holder stuff in it, and then Neat. it has the drop. You know, so it looks really nice for the price. So it's yeah. really cool. Either way, we're going to be giving away an awesome prize, and your way to have a chance at those prizes is to support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. Contributions start at just $2, so if you have the means, we would greatly appreciate your support. Now we're going to move on to our first topic today, Clerks. Kevin Smith's debut film, originally released in 1994. This film has a 70 on Metacritic. The film follows Dante through a day of his life. He is coerced into going into work on his day off. The shutters of his convenience store are jammed shut. His best friend Randall works at the video store next door, and he comes into the store constantly to torment customers. Dante is in a relationship, but pining over his high school sweetheart. In the end, he winds up single. Did I miss any of the key points on... Yeah, I mean... The recap? There's, like, deeper things that occur, but, but yeah, that's the broad strokes, I think. Well, let's start by talking about our memory of this film. This film came out when I was 13 years old. I had seen it sometime in the 90s, and I never, honestly, I never really cared for Clerks. Mm -hmm. This film never really resonated me. Coming back to it now, I appreciate it much more, but uh, Clerks just never did it for me. Uh, So for me, Mallrats was the first Kevin Smith movie I had seen, and, you know, I, I... It's not a fantastic movie, but I enjoyed the hell out of that movie, and because... Like, Mallrats was, when that came out, it was, like, made for, like, our age, kind of. Or at least it felt like it. Granted, it was made for people Kevin Smith's age, which maybe says something about his maturity at that point, but... I mean, I still love that film. Does that mean that I haven't matured either? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not going to weigh in. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, honey. (laughs) But, uh, so I remember enjoying it. Um, I remember... It was weird because 
as a kid, you're like, okay, this is in black and white. That's kind of stupid, right? Uh, but but I the thing that I did remember um, liking were was like the the dialogue of it. Um, this was kind of before I had seen like Tarantino movies. I think at that point. And so the dialogue was just so interesting compared to a lot of other like movies of that time. Like Mallrats, I think even wasn't like it had some similar types of dialogue to that. But I think the dialogue is really interesting and it's very unique um, in that movie. So that's one thing that I do remember liking about it. Um, and then just, yeah, the general hijinks um, that you kind of alluded to when you introed the movie um, and and yeah, some of the just crazy shenanigans that they end up pulling or experiencing while they're there well i of course never saw clerks oh i didn't set that up at all you had (laughs) never seen this movie until last night you were kind of a last minute replacement uh the original third host had a family thing come up and he couldn't make it uh so feeny's here you had never seen clerks never seen clerks 2 you still haven't seen clerks 3 honey what was it like watching this movie for the first time last night okay it uh, it was interesting, actually, because I came in when you were watching, rewatching the film, and I came into that little blip of. Um... Oh. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> that is a problem. Is it catching me now? We just had the strangest situation in like, the history of oil. Jamie's <laughs> mic cord just literally fell out of the mic. Like, it clips in there. I have no idea how that happened. Well, and it's not like you're holding it or anything, too. It just literally just, like, bloop. Yeah, I'm like, what fell down? What's happening? <laughs> Is there another spider the size of my fist in this room? <laughs> so you... you uh, quick side note here. Um mm-hmm. So right before we were about to start recording, uh, Tom turns around and then he's just like, or no, no, you noticed it first, Phoenix. And you're like, Tom, do you want to take care of that? Points at the wall. And there was probably like a quarter sized. Yeah, it's probably a quarter sized. The body was the size of a quarter. Yeah. Oh my gosh, guys. Um, The body wasn't the size of a quarter. The legs in entirety were the size of a quarter. But yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was a black widow. The the amount that Tom recoiled in horror. as as Peter Parker Spider Man here was lipping off at us um, <laughs> on the floor, uh, and then Phoenix had to get up and actually take care of the spider. Well, and, uh, let me defend my uh, <laughs> defend my honor here. Yes, it was a big spider. Yes, I was surprised because it was a freaking big spider, and I spent a lot of time sitting right here. But to be fair, I killed the last spider. I killed a spider during bedtime when we were getting the girls ready. So, honey, oh. this was your turn. Okay, it's my turn. I did ask if you wanted me to go get a baseball bat because it was a. Big spider. You know, by the end of the podcast, that spider is going to be about the size of the Titanic. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Now, it's funny. You should have. So there's a guy on a podcast that I used to listen to, and he would always talk about when he'd kill spiders, he'd leave them on the wall so that the <laughs> others would see what happened and like move away. Um, so you could you could try that next time just to see if that helps ward them, ward them away. I think that host lives in squalor. <laughs> <laughs> could be. <laughs> Phoenix, I'm not sure exactly where yeah, your point cut sure out, either. but um, take us again. Well, he'll take care of it in post. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't fix <laughs> anything. I got to stop swearing. This you have to be, fix that. Yeah, <laughs> I will fix that. Hurry. <laughs> I better just cut it out. Oh, God, now I can't. Yeah. Way to, way to do it, dumb. It's like we're all speaking like J Muse. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've been watching these movies, so they're going to have that impact. That's I'm going to try true. not to swear. But if you set up one thing, I'm going to have to say it. So, Snoogans. No, that's not a swear word. 
right? Snoochie boochies? No, that's not a swear word either. Burns, berserker. <laughs> Sexy woman like. <laughs> I mean, are we able to say the porch? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah. Okay, I was just we'll was wondering about, about that. that. Um, <laughs> yes. This is the first time you had watched Clerks. You did walk in on me randomly. I think this is where it cut out. You walked in on me watching the film to prepare for the show on my own. Uh, you wa- What point did you walk in at? And then how was the experience just watching this film for the first time? Well, it's kind of jarring because of the, uh, the cadence of the dialogue. Because, you know, it was hard to jump in. Because the way the cadence of the dialogue is special to the movie. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting on the counter and the woman's asking him which two is better. Oh, yeah. And I keep watching and watching. Then he goes in the gas station and then he's talking to Dante about... Um, uh, I forgot exactly, but he had the porno magazine. Mm-hmm. And he, oh, it was yeah. boppers. That's what boppers, about. yeah. And so he was. <laughs> so I caught those two scenes. I'm like, okay, you know, it's just like, what kind of spot are we reviewing on this podcast? <laughs> so my friend, a quick aside on that topic. Uh, in AP English in high school, we would have to bring in words for vocabulary, and my friend Brent from high school brought in. Mopper. Oh my gosh! And then really? the definition was the the person who cleans out the nudie booths after the guys finish, and it was it was one of our vocabulary words. I can't believe that oh, they wow. left it go through, but yeah, that's insane. Yep, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. <laughs> what an impact this movie has had on pop culture. Yeah, but again, yeah, it's it, for me the first glimpse I had was the cadence, and this is as at the point that someone was still going to be your um, third host, uh, third host yep. with you. So, and then all of a sudden, I stepped in. So I'm st- start watching it, and watching it from the beginning really allowed me to step into this world and view the cadence of the dialogue and get in. Well, let's put a pin in that right there. We'll talk about our impressions right now. So sure. I set this up for you, and then I'm completely cutting you off <laughs> to make my own point. One of the reasons this film never did much for me was I always had a hard time with Dante. Like, Dante is so stuck that he can't make change in his life. And for my entire life, like I, that's just never resonated with me. Uh, I guess maybe I'm a little atypical. I chased baseball out to Massachusetts, out to Maryland. Like, I left home. I did a lot of stuff to chase my dreams, which wound up being stupid. And now I just... Uh, typical corporate drone writing blog posts and it's awesome (laughs) and i always struggled with dante and i always loved randall i uh i wish to be as uninhibited with people as he was like when he just spits water in the customer's face because he's tired of him it's like i could never i could never do that but i'm like wow randall's freaking cool (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i never actually i actually i always had difficulty with both characters in the first movie um, because Randall always came off as just like, just too much of a jerk. Right. Um, I'm way, I'm way too much of probably a people pleaser to like, to like, just say what I think, um, or, or just offend people for the point of offending people. What do you think of this podcast burns when you listen to it in your free time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do sometimes go that far. That's more passive. That's the Minnesota nice way to be an right? Um, and I, sorry, I said I was going to try to not swear, but I guess I did. I found the magic setup. Yes. That wasn't the setup. Best but... podcast host in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, so I always struggled with him. And then I always struggled with Dante because he's just so whiny in the movie. Right. Um, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Exactly. And and granted, like it, 
they they do a good job, I think, of turning that around. Like Randall turns that around on him and and helps him to realize something about himself. Um, because you know, it's just like any of us. We say things a lot of the time, or we get into mindsets, and we don't realize we're in that until someone calls us out on it, right? Not me. I'm always completely in the absolute perfect mindset and absolutely present and well communicatingly. Mm. Right, honey? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm Tom Sidlogic. <laughs> well, what stands out to this movie, going back to it now, or for Phoenix, viewing it for the very first time? Now you can... I'm sorry, I cut you off before. It's okay. There's an order to this madness. Really? It's all, it's all building on something. It's not mansplaining? No! <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> you can cut that out, babe. Oh, God, I can't anymore, honey! <laughs> honey, don't you listen to the show? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Rewind. Sorry. <laughs> I forgive you and I love you. Um, it's like watching Clerks for the very first time in 2022, like uh, 28-ish years after it cut originally came out well i i know from everyone that probably went to see the film it was i don't know it just i'm not sure you guys saw it in when a few years after it came out you know i mean to me right now it'd be considered an artsy film i'm not Mm -hmm. saying that because it's black and white i'm saying that because it's a film that actually you get a glimpse into someone's life for one day and that is unusual with a mm-hmm. lot of films. And you get the natural flow of dialogue, which it was jarring because this is his first film. And you can tell some of the actors and actresses weren't very good, uh, very mm-hmm. good or on par with the acting. So it'd be interesting if you redid the film with people that are a little bit more, you know, stronger. But t- to me, at, now at this time, I can really appreciate that he really went for, I don't want to say gritty because that would be seen too noirish, but, you know, kind of two guys out of college, you know, we, you guys know what it's like being out of college, just two friends that have stayed connected, the way they talk and, you know, and communicate with each other. And I think he captured that very well. And, and to me... Again, it's an artsy film now, and I think it should be appreciated for mm-hmm. that format, not because, again, it's black and white, but because it's a perfect picture of a day in a life of two individuals, basically one, but two mm-hmm. individuals. Yeah. I've argued for basically all of my adult life since this film came out <laughs> that it wasn't an artsy film. I thought that people interpreted it as an artsy film just because it was black and white, and I'm like, it black and white or not it's just not that good of a film and it just never really stuck with me hearing your explanation that it's a snapshot in these two people's life that i buy more i just it people always seem to have the impression that this was artsy and it just maybe i'm just an uncultured waker you know black and white i mean i was raised on a lot of black and white films um d martin jerry lewis films um the classic detective films um maltese falcon you know so i'm used to black and white films but that's not the way what I'm basing this off of because I'm used to seeing black and white. It's just the way he's out to encapsulate the day and the dialogue and people's relationship with each other. And I'll bring it up again with clerks too, as far as my opinion. But to me, I guess I don't know if you want me to say what my favorite is yet, but you know, you can wait until we're into the top five. Okay. But yeah, I mean, to me, I truly appreciate what he was doing. And 
we also watched an interview with him and Jason talking about the original creating Jay and Silent Bob and how these two guys met and became friends. It's wild. Because mm-hmm. um, turns out Jason had a reputation for being a dirty kid. He was always getting in trouble and doing stuff. And he was standing outside of um, Kevin Smith's house and his mom's like, Dirty kid is standing outside, and Kevin's like, I don't know what he's doing here. I don't know. But Jason just wanted to be friends with him because mm-hmm. he thought Kevin was cool. And and Jason said he appreciated Kevin's viewpoint of movies because he knew all the ins and outs. So you can take his what he knew and what he brought to the film with this first film. And that's what I appreciate now. Yeah, the characters, it was hard for me. It was some... Not hard for me. I just... Yeah, the Minnesota nice. It's hard with Randall when he can mm-hmm. be a little bit too much. Or, but it's that, I thought Randall was great. <laughs> he was great, and you know that's what was great about the character. You can love him and hate him at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and Dante. You know, the he was written well that you're just like, oh my gosh, just you know, gaff the pot. You know, just mm-hmm. do something with your life. But you know, it's just. Um, it was interesting because it reminds me of other characters you see in films, that relationship, the two friends. And I can't think of yeah. a clear example of two friends like that with that same dynamics. But it is a friendship you do see in a lot of films. So. Holden McNeil and Banky. <laughs> Chasing Amy also. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. I, I, I agree with that. Clerks, I mean, is not the greatest movie ever. No. But it was... I would argue, like, in the 90s, it was probably one of the more important movies um, from that decade. Yeah. One of the most important movies of the 90s. Yes. Because because it was the first really big independent film. And it, it, it did really well financially and critically even though it didn't fit into the mold of Mm -hmm. like, this is what all movies have to be. They have to be this three act structure that have, you know, this big event and have to have action or if it's humor, it has to have a certain type of humor. And this kind of went against that norm um, partially because they couldn't do a lot of those things on the budget that they had. I mean, it was, it was a, what was it? 21,000. Yeah, it was, it was, extremely even back then an extremely small amount of money in order to make a movie well it's kind of interesting we just talked about peter jackson (laughs) you know taking someone what his first films were like you know um bad taste and those were kind of interesting films to kevin smith who's a little bit i don't know how you would describe Mm -hmm. you know he just he was influential with his writing and the way he came onto the scene i think you know I'd say Heavenly Creatures is better than most Kevin Smith films. It's a good film. It was an early one. It was a really good film. I guess I'm talking about like first films done by directors. And I know people are going to say it's blasphemy, but Quentin Tarantino, I mean, Reservoir Dogs, I could see what he was trying to do with that potential, but the dialogue and the acting, it's (laughs) crap. It just (laughs) drove me crazy. Like, Oh, the, I know you actors are so much better than this, but you are uh, Tim Roth. I know you can act better than this. Why are you so poor in this movie? You know, and uh, who's the other actor that is so good? But I just Michael Madsen. Oh no, um, um, Harvey. Harvey uh, Keitel. 
Yes. It's like, you're so much better than this. But, you know, comparing um, Kevin Smith's first film, the dialogue, the Mm -hmm. cadence, and, you know, because that's also a singular one day glimpse into a life of these guys. Yep. Where, you know, I think Kevin Smith captured it a lot better as far as that what he was trying to do where Quentin Tarantino, I know he was still trying to learn his chops, but I don't know if it was his directing or the, he just didn't have it down his writing cadence or mm-hmm. what, but you know, I know Oh, people are going to hate me for what I just said. Tom, but. do you remember what my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie is? Reservoir Dogs. It's Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> um, I, I think, and it's more so just because of the situation and everything like that. I do understand yeah. like what you're saying. Um, I think from start to finish, it's the more engaging of his movies. I think a lot of his movies end up being very, by the end of it, it just sort of loses track of what it, it was at the beginning of it. I agree. And yeah. then Reservoir Dogs is this entire buildup all the way to I see, yeah. to a point, right? Yeah, he tried to contain a story and write a story and built it, you know, and... You know, I can see the potential that the movie had, and mm-hmm. it was unique in the way he yeah. was trying to write it. But I just, if you know, the directing is just what bugged me the most. So of that. So and now but. going back to like Clerks and like watching it now, it's interesting because you know, as much as I was talking about remembering like disliking Randall and disliking like Dante, um, you know, there's parts of me now as an older person that definitely like can sympathize more with that um like randall for instance it would be friends with me for a long time well no but i mean it would feel good to just say stuff to people right so he's almost like that part he's like the devil on your shoulder like if you just listen to that all the time and like how cathartic that would feel to just be like (laughs) i'm just gonna put all these people on blast and who gives a crap right yeah um and and then like dante it's interesting because as you get older and I don't think this is necessarily the case for Dante, or it shouldn't have been necessarily the case for Dante. But as you get older and you have like different responsibilities or whatever, um, it, it it is easy to feel like you're stuck in a situation and you don't have a good way out of it, right? Um, it's easy to get into those jobs where you're just like, I hate this job, but I'm just doing it to do it because the act of moving is a much more difficult thing, right? Honey, that's not how you feel about our marriage, is it? <laughs> or our life together? Oh my gosh, no. Not Thank at goodness. all. Thank goodness. Proceed, Burns. <laughs> <laughs> As I was frantically waving you down to let me get my funny joke in. <laughs> no, that's all good. Uh, so so I think it, it's interesting because, and, and obviously as kids, you're not going to, or teenagers, or early 20s, well, whatever Well, you kind of are at that stage of their life at the time you're watching it. You're right. in sort of their same shoes but you know at that age we're still everything is so Mm -hmm. we can't future pace as well right you know so yeah um so so that that was one thing that was interesting um uh, to me anyway going back to it i also agree i appreciate this film much more now being older and having some experience in the world and just having dealt with many more people in my life like i have a lot more empathy Mm -hmm. with the main characters in this film than i ever did when i was young uh, one of the other things that struck me going back to it was um, I, I remembered incorrectly, apparently, uh, how little Jay and, like, Jay and Silent Bob yeah. aren't a major part of Clerks, right? Mm-hmm. They're there. They're they're there the whole time, but they're just like set dressing and come in at the one spot, right? Yep. Whereas like in Mallrats, they're there all the time. So I think in my mind, 
going back to it, I just remembered them like being there a lot more and being more a more active part of it um, because of that and because of like Clerks 2 and some of the other movies. It's funny that you bring them up. I'm glad that you brought them up. Yeah. I see so many parallels between myself and Jason Mewes. It is almost horrifying to behold. From <laughs> really? From the dancing to the phallic humor to like the energy <laughs> to the surprising heart when he has that moment where he invites Dante to the party, which is one of my favorite moments in the film. It just... I couldn't believe how much of my life has been styled after Jason Mewes. It's startling. Well, it's interesting also watching the interview between Kevin Smith and Jason um, that we caught... It was an oral history of Jane Silent Bob that we just found on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, they did. I'm sure they made some sort of a joke like that, didn't they? I don't know if they did or not. Really? Totally okay. off base, Burns. Come on, man. <laughs> We're trying to have a serious discussion here. <laughs> the co-host. Well, anyways. Um, it, I don't That's know. Casey's nickname, by the way. <laughs> I thought it was Dr. C. Yeah. <laughs> I... Kevin wanted to have two characters at, outside the building, right? Just mm-hmm. to have the two characters. Yeah. Um, he wanted Jason to be in the film because he's funny. And he originally wasn't going to play Silent Bob, but he decided to do it. I don't know if it's because Jason was more comfortable with him there or if it was just he decided to do it in the end. Yeah, but, I can't remember. But Jason was terrified of filming but i think kevin let him just do his thing he didn't Mm -hmm. really write it for this film he just let jason do jason but the the dancing jason refused to dance in front of the crew so they had to do it in the middle of the night when no one was there and And kick everyone off the set yeah they made a very funny joke about that in clerks 3 oh yeah that's right yeah but um it's just interesting the creation of these two characters too with this film you know, because these are two characters that everyone sort of knows in ways, you know. I don't know, maybe kids younger than us might not, but we definitely do, mm-hmm. you know. It's just So it's these two famous characters he's created, and it came from Clerks, and it came from a friendship, and he just wanted his friend in the movie. And it turns out that the studio didn't want Jason in Mallrats. Oh yeah, he had an addition, and they additioned other people, and almost Seth, Seth Green, Green. <laughs> got the role. But um, yeah, luckily Jason got to keep it. So and he learned to work in front of people. Yep. So, but yeah, no, I mean, going on about the strengths of the movie, I mean, I really enjoyed what he did. You know, he took his love of films. He took he showed everyone his capability with writing. Um, talking about human emotions, you mm-hmm. know, day-to-day interactions. Um, this is something you brought up, but just talking about sex and what it means to each individual. I mean, it can be taboo amongst a lot of people, you know, it's just uncomfortable mm-hmm. to talk about. But he brought it out in a way that didn't seem like in your face, like some movies can do. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, look at this. We're talking about sex, where it was a natural thing that was going on in the film. It's just and it was seemed... just something that they talked about. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate most about Kevin Smith. He broadcasts the same views on sex and sexuality that I have, like from talking about mm-hmm. moppers in the first movie mm-hmm. to uh, Banky being in love with Holden and chasing Amy. They. There is so much sexuality, and it's not just man loves woman, man bangs woman, man chases hot woman until the yeah. end of the film. There's, there are many different appetites and different needs on mm-hmm. display throughout the films, and 
uh, like none of it's taboo. Like everyone's just people, and I yeah. just that resonates so strongly with my own core beliefs. And I, I just love that Kevin Smith brought it to like uh, prominence across all of his films. Well, it's also really interesting about it is that um, so Kevin Smith is still like pretty religious. Like, he grew up Catholic. Um, and he has like this ritual where, um, just before starting shooting and just before releasing every movie, he goes to church, um, as sort of like the ritual to try to like bless the production and then like hope that everything goes well kind of a thing. Uh, but yet in his movies, he still like talks about a lot of these like other things and fringe parts of it. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's one of those things like growing up Catholic, uh, it, it's it, it's funny because like it it just sort of mirrors a lot of the things that like you experience right and, and you think about and uh, the the fact that you know if if you like entrench yourself into that mindset a lot they tell you that saying this stuff is bad or thinking about these things or that there can't be anything other than like the the teachings and everything mm-hmm. um, but really what it comes down to is. You know, the world is different than all of that. It is. Um, you know, things have changed a lot since a book that was written supposedly 2000 years ago. And so, uh, you know, this is kind of telling the human stories and the human interactions around that. Whether you're talking about, you know, deep topics as to the people you love and being in love with multiple people. Or if it's talking about, you know, the number 37, you know, it can be any of those things. Um, it can be all sorts of anything from here or there around that is that internet rule 37 no 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 37 oh 37 yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> quick side note i keep forgetting to mention to you did you know that pineapples and flamingos mean swingers so if you have pineapples on your doormat or i don't know if we should get rid of our knocker <laughs> <laughs> honey your family has been giving me pineapple gifts for the last decade. <laughs> and let me be clear on this. Oyo welcomes all people of all beliefs and all sexualities. Uh, if you're a swinger, that's great. That's not the lifestyle no, no, that we just, employ. No, I just thought that it was an interesting thing because, you know, everyone... A lot of those come from your brother. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it just... It just popped in my head it's just you know talking about welcoming and being open and mm-hmm. you know i just like it never dawned on me that you know pineapples and now your sister loves flamingos and wants flamingos in her front lawn but people <laughs> will associate that so we should warn her but you know it's just something that i keep forgetting to bring up and it just it's in the yep. middle of the clerk's show <laughs> it's well <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's symbols, right? Yeah. Symbols, symbols yeah. change over time. Symbols. And the meaning of things can change. It can be something that's that's very innocent, but then, you yeah. know, it's not. Right? Yeah. No, so, it's, it's, you know, he lived in a pineapple under the sea. <laughs> what was he doing with all these other people in the, in the, in the undersea world, right? Well, since we're off the rails, like, what if, <laughs> what if Jesus Christ had a Twitch channel? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> Would he be doing hot tub streams? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be it'd be the hottest holy water you yeah. know well, just he like, would yeah. be walking on the water though imagine the condom yeah. imagine the condemnation of not like subbing <laughs> and like we're not talking about that free bs from amazon <laughs> a prime sub only yeah. gets you to purgatory is that what it is yeah <laughs> if you want to get to paradise you got to do that 
full tier one sub. <laughs> the world has changed. Coming back to the original Clerks film from 1994, one of the things that Kevin Smith did so exceptionally well was he took these two characters and he portrayed their life and their dialogue and their relationship between them, but he also put them in some crazy situations for what that was supposed true. to be a typical day in their life. Yeah. Like Dante wasn't supposed to be at work. He had a hockey game, and so when his boss didn't show up to relieve him, he just played hockey on the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, they randomly had a high school friend die, and like they just closed down the store and go to a funeral, and Randall knocks over the casket. <laughs> It's just all these crazy things that happen in, like, what's supposed to be a day in the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's also talking about the responsibility, you know, because they're young, not fully understanding, taking responsibility, you're working this job, you should be at the store type thing, Mm -hmm. you know. And I don't know if it's too early to bring this up, but it's just interesting watching the film, understanding that originally... um, Dante was supposed to die in the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the and original cut of the film. Uh, Kevin Smith brought that up at some point in the extras of something. I knew that leading up to prep for this show, and then it was reinforced in the introduction that Kevin Smith shot for Clerks 3, right? Yep. But it's just kind of interesting when you told me that and I started watching the film. It's like, the way Kevin wrote the film, I'm not supposed to be here. If he did die at the end of the film, it really would put a punch on that line that mm-hmm. he kept saying through the whole film. I'm not supposed to be here, you know. It would have been full circle from the beginning where he's like passed out under some clothes in his room yeah. and like getting coerced into coming into work. Yeah, and so I just, in ways, it's it worked out great for him not to do that ending because he's gotten three films, mm-hmm. but or two films after this one. But it's just. It would have had a very big punch to this movie to just have this happen. And it would just blow you out of the seat. Like, he Mm -hmm. just killed off the main character. And I'm not going to spoil anything that happens in future films. But he did go kind of Peter Jackson with The Hobbit on this. You think so? Yeah, he took a short story and blew it up into three movies. That is just a dig at Peter Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Lovish movies. But, um, you know... Overall impressions of the film to me is that it was, um, to me, it's a masterpiece in my opinion. And Masterpiece? It, one of the most influential films in the 90s. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed this film, uh-huh. going back to it now, but those are strong statements you have both made. Well, again, I'll say the acting is a little bit rough at mm-hmm. times, but again, like with Reservoir Dogs, what he tried to write can be considered a masterpiece with the story and everything he's put together. And to me, Kevin Smith, what he did with the cadence of these characters and what he put them through and just, it kept you engaged because it's like, oh my gosh, he did this with this character with Caitlin. Oh my gosh. Did he really go there with this character? It's like, you know, she went to the bathroom. Why was she not thinking? Dante was at home. She just, you know, yep. it's like, so, you know, but he kept it feeling real to the day in the life of someone yeah. that in the 90s, the clothes, everything, it was <clears throat> like, oh, this is what it was like back in the 90s. But, yeah. you know, so. Well, and I think that's what makes it as funny as it is, too, is that. It's very rooted in reality. I mean, they used a real convenience store and and, and everything along those lines. But then there are these just incredibly absurd things that happen periodically throughout the day 
that are just not real. Yeah. Um, but because it happens within that, it's feasible. Yeah. When it's not, right? Yeah. Like, there's no way, like, someone would probably, okay, I'm sure it's happened before, but there's no way that someone in the same day would knock over someone's casket at a funeral. Yes. And then come back, and then his friend's not real girlfriend, used to be girlfriend, maybe girlfriend again, you know, screws some dead guy on the toilet, right? Yeah. There's no way that that would ever happen, but because it's rooted in how real the movie looks, it it's it's funny because of the juxtaposition, mm-hmm. but then it's also, it's just like it makes it seem more real because of yeah. how real the movie feels. So it's, yeah, it's funny. I love dark comedies, and mm-hmm. I guess thinking about now with you and I talking, it's like, this is a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. To me, I guess basically it is, because I love... Um, Death at a Funeral, the original, the British version. I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is great. Yeah, it's just dark comedies. I just love them. And it's just the juxtaposition. If a director and writer can do it well, it's Mm -hmm. just, it can be hilarious. And so, you know, it's just, that's what I enjoyed about the film is that juxtaposition, the dark comedy. And I guess that's. Where I felt like Clerks 2 lost me a little bit, so, but. Oh, we'll get into that movie <laughs> so soon, love. <laughs> I'm going to move on to my final thoughts with this film. I appreciate this film more than crappy old video games. Like, I would <laughs> much rather watch Clerks again than play, like, anything on the NES. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, everybody can have bad takes, so you can too, Tom. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> Most important film in the 90s. I would say that this film is worth watching just to lead up to Clerks 3. Like, I think that all three of these movies are just really, really good when you put them together. Any other final thoughts on the original Clerks film? I, you know, I can't think of anything. I just, you know, again, it's just Kevin Smith is an interesting writer and he loves pop culture and it's kind of interesting to see what he does with his films when he does them so there was one cute moment during when you were watching this film last night i was playing wolfenstein (laughs) you were watching this film with headphones on you take off your headphones you turn to me and you say i want whiskey (laughs) okay (laughs) i will deliver whiskey (laughs) i was just like well i gotta finish this film because we're recording the next night and i was just like well i understand you're playing a game but Mine is a little bit more time crunched. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Burns, your closing thoughts on the original Clerks from 1994. Yeah, I, I, I think I just echo what I said earlier with that it's not going to be the greatest movie you've no. ever seen. It's not going to be the funniest movie you've ever seen, per se. Um, but I still think it's worth watching just to have like a glimpse into uh, like a time period yeah a glimpse into the 90s of what people were like in the 90s but also just to like what kind of was a change in movies and that a lot more movies similar to that started getting made after that happened in the middle of the 90s and i think a lot of i think a lot of those kind of that became popular late 90s early 2000s of the like high school to college age like road trip a lot of those other movies, I think, are rooted in clerks. That kind of like led to a lot of those movies happening because it's like these ordinary people being thrust into extraordinary situations, all for like the humor of it, right? 
Now, I don't have the cinematic knowledge to confront you directly about uh-huh. this, so let me see if I can Minnesota nice my way into this, <laughs> or aggressively push my way into this. I have to assume that the Road Trip movie originated before 1994. What? Road no. Trip was not created no. before 1994. It was after 90. Well, the movie Road Trip, yes, came over, but I, like the Road Trip concept as... Oh, no, Road like, Trips for sure have. He was talking about the style of the movie, people. Yeah, or like, you like Can't Hardly Wait, which came out in the late 90s. Um, not another teen movie, but that's more of a spoof on all those movies. I mean, you got like 16 Candles and um, what's the other one? Um, Pretty in Pink. I mean, those were big teen movies that mm-hmm. came out, but I don't know if they ever did much. Well, say anything. So um, like Clerks is the epitome of the grunge era. Is that the takeaway here? <laughs> right, because it, it was... <laughs> I think I think this is probably accurate. I think it was the birth of dick and fart jokes in movies. Like of of that being like all sorts of filled in with that and like pop culture references thrown into there, you know, because that's when movies started mimicking how like people to some extent talked in real life about those things. Um and I think Clerks 2 actually does a lot more of those types of things, like with Elias, with like, the one ring to rule. Because it's like, there's... All of my friends will just randomly throw out... Ran- I mean, I randomly throw out random quotes from movies from time to time. Um, but to have a movie actually do that type of thing and you have the is interesting, right? debate with the Star Wars yep. movies, Return versus Empire. I mm-hmm. mean, part of me thinks that he kind of did that whole film to just talk about those two films in ways. It's like he had to get that off his chest. Yeah. Building off of Burns' point, I would estimate, and Feeney, you can either agree or disagree with this, I would estimate that 60% of the things that I say are movie quotes, mm-hmm. largely from the 90s. You mean Cooper have to quit basketball too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm still skeptical. I'm skeptical that this was such a trailblazing movie in that regard, but if it's true, if this was the birth of like pop culture references in movies, then I have grossly underestimated this film's <laughs> importance to cinema. I mean, and I could be wrong, and I could just be, this could be like the retroactively going back and attributing a lot of things to it that maybe it doesn't deserve. But like just thinking about it, I've been thinking about it a lot, like since I watched it again. And I, I feel like there's a lot of influences that like started from the Kevin Smith movies. Um, and since this was the first one, I think that, I think that played a role in, in, how movies kind of popular movies were created in the late 90s into the early 2000s. Well, just thinking about it, like, um, I'm sure when Clerks came out, you know, it's black and white. Everyone's like, hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Mm -hmm. You know, we do take a lead from our movies. And it sounds like Clerks did very well in ways when it first came out. Mm -hmm. It did better than they thought. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, people can be influenced by a film that go on to make other films. But... Yeah, who knows? I mean, right. he could have somewhat of an impact to our cinema without realizing it. But Well, if we ever do a full-blown Kevin Smith show, yeah. which I don't really see in the horizon, but if we ever do, it'd be interesting to do more research on the impact that he's had on cinema and see yeah. how other contemporary directors would attribute their process to his movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would be interesting. It would be. And whether it's like him or Tarantino or... Whom else would be some of the more important like influences on things? Well, they did do Tarantino. 
They did, yeah. But I mean, like looking oh, at it yeah. from that lens oh. as to like actual influences oh, on you meant us. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You did. You guys yeah. did. Do I was thinking about my transition to the next point. Well, I was totally it's just like out. unfortunately you had Billy and Casey, so I, I, you're on. Unfortunately, your... do you hate Billy and Casey? No, <laughs> I don't. They do a terrible job on the show. No, 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 no. I just say you were on an island. They got ganged up on you, and unfortunately, I wasn't there to oh, help. Oh yeah! Oh, they ganged up on me. You and Billy ganged up on me on Man from Uncle. I know. I will I'm never forget how you guys buried that film at the bottom of the rankings. I that was see. the biggest OIO travesty, tra- travesty, sham, and mockery. Travis sham mockery. Travis sham mockery. Now, yeah. all I'm saying is that you know they loved Quentin Tarantino, and they kind of ganged up on you on your choices and. Personally, I do believe Jackie Brown is one of the better films of his. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely wrong in that one. So. Definitely wrong. Anyways, Bernsey, what's up with you? How you feeling, dude? Oh, that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine. Um, but so this friend of yours backed up the sink, and you're looking for some help. I can't help you, dude. No, no, no. Uh, my my cousin Walter is a very experimental person, and. I'm not going to get into the tawdry details because there's some things you just don't talk about in public, man. But uh, if he were to, um, you know, some of the things he's done, he's he's injured himself in, himself in certain ways, um, like his neck, for instance, um, that, that has left him in some pretty serious pain. So is there anything that my cousin Walter would be able to, to do to get some help? Well, you're right, Gil. There are some things we just don't talk about in public. Your cousin Walter should check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, gerbil-related injuries, and more. <laughs> we suggesting Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. Okay, so I want to give it a couple second pause. That wasn't rehearsed at all. Like Burns and I are just on the same wavelength. That is good podcast chemistry right there. Well done, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. I, I was watching the movie and I wanted to turn to you though. Like, do guys do that? Do they actually try? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I did think so, but it's just like this whole conversation's going on, and then yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that up on mics. <laughs> well, no, you don't have to answer. <laughs> for our next segment, we are going. Well, that could be an outtake for the. No, never. It's never forever. Yeah, he'll take care of it in post. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Zalachigoyo, master of post-production. <laughs> That's your math. This is my master class. It's like, then it's just the end. <laughs> For our top five today, I'm going to rank the top five Kevin Smith things. I originally called it Kevin Smith things because I was just going to troll John with this. Ah. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. What do you mean you're trolling John? Does he have an issue the way you set it up? Or It's not that I'm horrible at preparing for podcasts, but I was, uh, I was a little light on my list of the top five Kevin Smith things, so I was debating putting in Catch and Release, which he acted in, didn't write and direct. Uh, <laughs> because I really liked that film. I, I liked, did too. I liked his role in it, but I wound up having five films that he wrote and directed that wound up being higher on that list. Oh God, I just ruined everything. There's no Catch and Release on this list. Oh, are you guys still? What, the show what about his role in Die Hard Four that didn't make this list? 
He was in Die Hard 4? Yeah. He was I've like, only seen one Die Hard movie one time oh, two years ago. You're missing out. Yeah. Was it on Christmas? Well, I, it was around Christmas. <laughs> Not. So, okay. I, this debate really gets me going. <laughs> the floor is yours. Putting the quarter in. Well, no, it's like everyone says Die Hard is a Christmas movie because it takes place in Christmas. Well, then my logic, then that logic should mean that Lethal Weapon should be a Christmas movie because that takes place definitely during Christmas. You have Mel Gibson fighting in a Christmas tree farm mm. at the in the lawn at the end with the big fight. They're fighting amongst the Christmas decorations on the lawn. I mean, and then they have Christmas right after the whole thing. So it's like, come on, people. You just can't say Die Hard is a Christmas movie if you can't include other films. The <laughs> official OIO stance is that it takes more to be a Christmas movie than to take place at Christmas. Well, I would say let's bring Lethal Weapon in as a Christmas movie then. Or I'm fine just... with that. I'll put it into the rotation. <laughs> All right. Number five for the top five Kevin Smith things. Number five, Clerks 2. I'm a little surprised that this was at the bottom of my top five list because I do really, really enjoy this film. Feeney hates it with a fiery passion, but we'll get there I soon do. enough. <laughs> oh, I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Mallrats. Again, I'm surprised at how low this is because I have always always had You've an affinity for mall rats like it. from the first time i saw it in high school i'm like this is the like the most tom tom films of all tom films mm-hmm. and i still think it's just hilarious to this day but number four mall rats mall rats is pretty great number three i didn't even realize that this was a kevin smith movie until recently uh but zach and miri make a porno oh you didn't yeah, I, oh. uh, I've always appreciated this movie, too. I always thought it was very funny. I'm like, oh, Jason Mewes is in something that isn't a Kevin Smith movie. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Though then, he has acted in things that are not Kevin Smith no, movies. He has. I really enjoyed that movie. I just kind of threw you... I, I think that's the thing with Kevin Smith films. It kind of... He doesn't quite do the same old, same old, I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but it kind of throws up, out left field. It's like, oh... This is very fun and intriguing and good. You know, I was just like, oh, who did this movie? Oh, Kevin Smith did this movie. I think it's interesting. Uh, I think Guy Ritchie is arguably my favorite director. And as great as I think his movies generally are, they we were able to very easily fit them into three buckets. It was his own yeah. IP. It was uh, reestablished IP. And it was like heist films. Yeah. Kevin Smith does not have buckets for his films outside of like... Clerks. Well, so you could technically say there's two buckets, right? There's any of the movies, the Viewisk universe, as they'll say it, which are any of the movies that have Jay and Silent Bob in them. True. And then the others. So like Zach and Miri make a porno, which I actually haven't seen yet. Um, oh, it's so good. Or yeah, like is. he's yeah. made Red State, which is like a political end of the world movie. And then there's Tusk, which is like a horror, like body horror movie. Um, I've seen any of those films. There's some, I haven't seen I haven't seen Tusk. I've seen Red State. It's actually pretty crappy. Oh, um, really? <laughs> um, there's 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 something else too that I remember seeing. I was like, ah, okay, interesting. There's a Kevin Hart movie that he wrote and directed. I thought, um, or maybe he just wrote it. Yeah, it was on a list when I was I, I, like when Kevin I was... Hart and I, was it Kevin Hart and not Ice T something? Gosh, I can't yeah, think it, it was on a list head, of Amazon when I was looking through. Not no, with the rock. No, not Central Intelligence. Jumanji. No, <laughs> but those are all the Kevin Hart movies I know. No, it's just interesting. I mean, Zach and Mirren, I enjoyed because it was like, oh, and I didn't realize that was Jason because without the long hair, it's like, who's that guy? And then when you figure it out, it's like, oh, that's 
Jay. <laughs> An impressive just... thing about his directing in that film, like there were actual adult entertainers in that yeah. film, and I thought they were legitimate actresses that were just made to look like adult film stars. It's like, oh, I look up their IMDb, and like that's the only movie they've well, done. I guess the thing that you could think about is like it's not a full day, but you have these two people at Clerks. You know, they are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. They are. They have their high school reunion coming up, and it's just two people that are still trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. And it kind of is odious to um, his Clerks films with Dante and Randall. And it's very fun to see Randall in Zach and Marin makes a porno. I had <laughs> completely forgotten that he was in that yeah, film because it was fun. so long between I had seen Clerks and Clerks 2 until I saw Zach and Mary. Yeah. And the movie I was thinking of, I was... He only directed it and edited it. He didn't write it, but it was Cop Out with Tracy Morgan and Bruce oh, Willis. Okay. So not Kevin Hart or Ice T. He oh, just directed yeah, it. Yeah, not even close. I was not even close. Yeah. <laughs> Bernsey, you should watch Zach and Mary make a point. Yeah. I think you'd be really entertained. I don't think Seth Rogen is all that funny, but I love his films. Love his films. Love his TV shows. I, I'm hit and miss with Seth Rogen. I do like some of his stuff. Other stuff, it's like, okay, you know, but it's like Will Ferrell. I can only take small amounts of Will Ferrell. I just, you know. I love Will Ferrell outside of sketch comedy. Sketch comedy makes me want to punch him in his dumb face. <laughs> so, so Tom loves loves the movies, but hates the person. Well, no, not not that I hate Seth Rogen. I do. I enjoy those movies, and like he's a big part of that. But I just like if you're gonna ask me to start listing funny people, Seth Rogen's gonna be pretty freaking far down the list, unless he wrote Your Highness, in which case. Oh, you love that film. I love that film. <laughs> you hate that film. Well, I just can't get through it. Because <laughs> you've never played D&D with me, honey. I know, that's true. It's, it's... If you did, you'd be like, oh yeah, this feels like home. <laughs> Do you know what? I laughed our asses off in that movie. Well, I just like, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I guess not. No. Danny McBride, very funny. Seth Rogen, eh. Recapping the list. Number five, Clerks 2. Number four, Mallrats. Number three, Zack and Miri make a porno. Number two... Clerks 3. Clerks 3. I love this film. We'll talk about it a little bit later. For honorable mention, I included Dogma. I haven't actually seen Dogma since high school. We've been doing, well, we, I say we very liberally. Phoenix has been doing some research on Dogma and like, (laughs) you hadn't seen that film in many years either. You just watched a little bit of it last night. I think that you would maybe put Dogma at the top of your Kevin Smith list. Well, see, I hadn't seen a Kevin Smith film until Dogma was my first one of okay. his. And actually, it was interesting. My parents brought us to the movie theaters mm. to watch it because they heard about it. And, you know, they enjoyed the film. But um, watching it last night, it was just, you can't find it anywhere on stream. Oh, really? Yeah, because, and I found an article, supposedly, Har- is it Harvey, Harvey Weinstein? Weinstein? Yeah. yeah. He gave the go-ahead, did the film, even though Disney told him not to because they were getting a lot of backlash for Kundun, which is unfortunate. Um, They just didn't want to upset the Catholics because they were Mm -hmm. upset China. Um, And so he had the rights, basically, because he bought it with a shell company afterwards. But... He's holding it hostage. Really? According to Kevin Smith, he's holding it hostage. He <laughs> won't. He's asking $5 million for the film. And Kevin's tried through lawyers to buy the film, but Harvey just won't. 
And I still maintain that Kevin Smith must have $5 million. He must have $5 million if he truly wanted Dogma to be released to the masses. Well, I don't know. It's just like, but, you know, and then supposedly he was contacted, his lawyers were contacted, a different company now owns it, but he turns out uh, Kevin Smith thinks it's another shell company that owns his movie so at the moment no one can view Dogma unless you own it it's out of print and people sell it for about 100 bucks so oh wow yeah to actually view the film I did come across someone on YouTube was a very generous individual and uploaded it and YouTube has not taken it down so you can actually watch the full movie on YouTube and everyone's comments are like, thank you, awesome, great, you know. <laughs> but I guess real quick, um, watching what I did watch, I skipped around a lot, but um, it's a very clever film. And finding out that he's Catholic, I completely forgot about that. It's just, it was a heavy subject for him to take on personally mm-hmm. with his belief to do this film because it's very clever he knew what he was talking about because mm-hmm. he knows his faith well enough to be able to bring these intricate things in. Jason Lee, who I never thought was very versatile as an actor, he was incredible in the film. I was like, I can't recognize him. He mm-hmm. played a really good muse that turned evil. And um, everyone, I was just like, it's a film that should be worth seeing. And from the interview of Jay and Silent Bob, we find out that and it makes sense because that's where I was introduced to Jay and Silent Bob that Jason really shines. So people fell in love with Jason, uh, Jay and Silent Bob mm-hmm. in that movie, definitely. But um, Matt Damon said that he stole the show. Yeah. Mm. But, um, and it's also Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, I still, um, you know, iffy with him. <laughs> with you know. How do you use Batman? <laughs> I did I'm enjoy Batman. him as Batman, but. But Matt Damon again, it just showed me what he can be as an actor because he brought um, such an innocence to his role. But I'm wondering, is I can never say it right? Is Moby? Um, Moby Dick? No, the, Moby the singer. No, the chain. The um, the chain that oh, they movies. work. Movies. Movies. Yes. Is in that film. So did he introduce that chain in this film because he uses it later? You know, because Chris Rock is wearing the shirt. They go, um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck kill the head execs mm-hmm. um, because they are evildoers. And so, you know, I'm just wondering if that's where he created the chain that he uses in Clerks, too. But Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that I think Dogma was where that originated because I don't think it existed. It didn't exist in Mallrats, and I don't remember it being in Chasing Amy at all. I don't think it was, no. But yeah, because he kind of enjoys coming up with these little things and then making them like bigger and bigger things in other movies. And it's interesting because seeing the trailer for Jay and Silent Bob reboot, you see Matt Damon, you see Ben, he brings a lot of these different pieces from all his films into Mm -hmm. it. So it'll be fun to rewatch, actually watch that film. But um, yeah, Dogma would definitely be higher on my list because it is a well done, cleverly written film that's unfortunate that a lot of people can't see now to mm-hmm. see it but quick question um i'm wondering if this is you know you had fantasy and sci-fi books out there dogma is kind of bringing like what harry dresden brings to the world in the books because you have the angels part of mm-hmm. the modern time or the iron Druid, where he deals with all the different characters jesus and different things it was dogma kind of 
a forefront to that type of genre or were there books out before he made this movie where he brought mythical not mythical um you know these religious figures mm-hmm. into a modern setting so i mean neil gaiman has touched on a lot of these themes before and he's been writing for a long time right yeah because i think because the sandman have a lot of that too because i know I, like american gods he wrote but yeah. that was i think that would have been after like the dogma the dogma would have been released anyway. definitely american gods i know has yeah. the religious aspects of one of my favorite books sandman i don't, I'm not familiar with the okay, works yeah. to say for sure, but um, I don't know anything about urban <laughs> fantasy, so I have no idea. Maybe, maybe not. I okay, know. that's the term, urban fantasy. I was trying to remember what the term is for these books, but it was just something that popped in my head. Is he? Maybe he read a book that allowed him to think in this perspective to write this film, or was he kind of original in his thinking <laughs> well with and, this, I, you know. and i could be misremembering um a little bit about it but i think a lot of like where dogma came from was the fact that like he grew up catholic okay. and just how effing crazy all of this stuff like is yeah. right um and and so i think he wanted to do something about that as well as the whole idea of like how just just because, like, George Carlin is, what, like, a bishop or something yep. like that in it, right? And so just, like, the absurdity of, like, the very holy people and how just because you're holy doesn't mean you always do good mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth. And, and wanting to, I think part of that was wanting to play on that a bit. Um, but, yeah, Dogma's, Dogma's interesting, Always has always been interesting because of the fact that you know, people that had watched would have like watched like Mallrats before that, and maybe they watched Chasing Amy, maybe they didn't, and then it's like, okay, well, this is a very different concept, and so I think some people maybe bounced off of it. I remember my friends and I really liking it. Yeah, growing no, up. I loved it when I first saw it in the theaters. Yeah, it was just like it's complete one eighty. Once you see, mm-hmm. it, like, once I finally saw his other stuff, it's like it, it is a one eighty from what he, you know. Mm-hmm. I should watch it again. Like I didn't watch it since I was a dumb kid. Like I never, as a youth, I never grasped the importance of certain things. So, like all I remember is the turd demon. Oh, okay. And Selma Hayek's in it, right? Like yeah, I generally yep. remember things that I've seen that have Selma Hayek in them. <laughs> From what I remembered before I started watching on YouTube, it's just Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Incredible in the film. Yep. In rewatching his scenes, he's just love the actor. He's yep. incredible. And then Alanis Morissette was the thing that I remember too. Mm-hmm. It's just her at the end. But you know, but. Yeah, it would be higher in my list, but we should go back to your list. Banditas. <laughs> so high goes in Banditas. <laughs> <laughs> Those are probably the only two Selma Hayek movies I've seen. Really? Dust Till Dawn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw what that. About that Desperado? was a wretched film. Nope, never saw Desperado. Oh, really? Desperado is right? better than Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Well, yeah, the bowel movement I had this morning was better than from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> Turd demon, <laughs> turd dick. It's a turd based strategy. Turd based strategy. Turd based SEO strategy. Yeah. The other thing I had in my honorable mention, uh, and it makes me sad to stick it on here because I thought it was going to be in my top five, and I thought it was going to be a surprising thing. The Clerks animated series. I 
<laughs> loved this show when I was first introduced to it. I was about 21 at the time. I think it had already flopped on TV. I think it was on TV around 2000. And I was exposed to it in 2001 or 2002. And I've always cared to torch for the Clerks animated series as like the great underappreciated media of our time <laughs> in this age of animated cartoons. And Burns, you and I just watched this. We watched the entire animated series. Only six episodes were made. Only two, three, or four of them ever actually made it onto the air. It's still funny. There's a lot of mm-hmm. like laughable moments in it, but I can see where this show never took off on the air. Do you have thoughts on the Clerks animated series? Yeah, I mean, it it wouldn't get anywhere close to my top five. Um, and and I, I get that there there's always a little bit of something with seeing something at a, at an age and latching onto it. I mean, that's probably why Mallrats is one of my favorites. When no, if I was, it's because Mallrats is freaking hilarious. If I was going back and looking at it and hadn't watched any of them and went and watched through them, it maybe doesn't match up as well. I guess nope, it's hard you'd to tell. still love it. <laughs> but uh, timeless classic. There was some funny bits in the animated series. Uh, there was like one or two parts where I really lost it and laughed. Um, I think my favorite was when the Transformer changes into a robot with people inside of it and the blood just like squirts out of it like we lost it for like a minute straight (laughs) yeah that's pretty priceless um but other than that there wasn't a ton that was like super memorable Um, i think it was just too edgy for network like i yeah air quotes on edgy because like Uh it was it was abrasive and the thing that i get watching now there were a lot of gay jokes and like you know i like poking fun at sexuality and my closest friends get the brunt of that it's like that it is. It was a lot. It was a lot. So, what network did it air on? I think it was CBS. It was whoever had the Super Bowl in the early two thousands. Wow, CBS because they had two it. promos during the Super Bowl. Like it, it had a lot of potential there. There was some belief in it, but uh, it just the pilot flopped with the test audience, and so the pilot never made the air. Well, I mean, would it be something like? Um... Cartoon Network would have done better with it as far as... Possibly. Know. And one of the things he says in the special features Delt is that... Swim. I just meant Delt Swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And one of the things that Kevin Smith said in the special features was that he had an offer from another network, but it wasn't like one of the big networks. So he went with CBS because he was trying to hit a home run when he could have had, at least, I think he had a full season guaranteed on a smaller network and he turned them down. Ah, uh, he should have gone with the smaller network. It was ABC. It was ABC. Those... No, it's just fascinating that he decided... Well, I guess if you feel like you have something that was going to be on a big network, but still, mm-hmm. you have to take into account with what your jokes are, what your right. stuff, and I mean, adults... There has to be an ag- a degree of mass appeal there. Yeah, yep. where I think Adult Swim, it would have flourished if he mm-hmm. may have considered the possibility. Yeah, of- I think it's... I think. And still, I feel like a lot of people are trying to chase the Simpsons, right? Everybody yeah. wants to be the next Simpsons they do. and find what that idea might be. Um, so I'm guessing that was probably part of his drive, too, with that. Well, what any f- influence from Beavis and Butthead with it? Or, you know? It could be that, too. Which, apparently, Beavis and Butthead, we were talking about that at the Patreon party, that Beavis and Butthead is back. Ah, uh, yeah, I heard that which they is were coming back, yeah. <laughs> just astonishing to me. But I mean, uh, the, 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 the bit that I saw was them reacting to ASMR, which I thought was hilarious. Um, I imagine yeah. it is. Adult <laughs> cartoons have come a long ways. Like a couple that we are fond of, Lower Decks, Harley Quinn. Like those are tremendous shows that just happen to be animated. And like I don't know, Clerks had a cool art style, and there were some legitimately funny jokes in it, but it just didn't come together in 
a cohesive enough package. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess you're thinking of South Park, too, with yeah. what they've been able to get away with. I mean, was this before South Park, or was it just at the start? This was after South Park started, around mm-hmm. uh, seventh grade for me, so I don't know, 1994-ish? 94, 95, 96, somewhere in that mm. window. The Clerks cartoon came out in the early 2000s. Family Guy was on the air, and another f- impression I got from the extras in it was that he hates Family Guy with a burning, fiery passion. <laughs> like, he took so many shots at them, and the smart baby, and like, he just constantly just, begged on Family Guy. For adult cartoons, I enjoy them. I love the media cartoons, anime and stuff, and... I just could never get into Family Guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen some stuff and there's some very clever bits. Yeah. And it's just, I can never really get into it. And I love Futurama, uh, Lower Decks, you know, again, Harley Quinn. I think it's the art style. Like, I, there's some funny stuff in Family Guy, but like, Peter Griffin looks dumb. It, no, it, it's not. It's just the it's humor. The doesn't. humor style, too. It's very. You married me, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I'll let you make your point, but yeah, it's yeah. a humor for me. It yeah, just... I, I think because it's it's the structure of the humor. Yeah, is like it's very you is very specific to Family Guy, and I could see that being part of because a lot of it's like this is a funny situation, but it reminds me of this one time that yeah. was this other funny situation, yeah. and then it'll be like a direct pop culture reference, or it'll be some other weird in joke. Yeah, um, and, and so. I, I can see how then, like, that that's something that I can definitely see why people would either like it or not like it or get sick of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me say this definitively, Kevin Smith, my man, I stand with you. Family Guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I've hated it since you told me you hated it on uh, the Clerks animated series in 2001-ish. I enjoy it well enough. I haven't watched, I mean, is it still on? Maybe I I don't no? know. It's just I it, don't know, but yeah, I wouldn't. I haven't watched it any time recently. You know, it'd be interesting to do a show on Seth MacFarlane because because the Orville is freaking awesome. That's what I'm saying. It's like you got Family Guy to Orville, and it's just amazing what he accomplishes with Orville. And I know we're getting off topic here, mm-hmm. but if you haven't seen Orville, you should watch Orville because the topics that say, like with Clerks, that he was talking about, some of these topics that were uncomfortable at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Seth MacFarlane's tackling them in the setting of outer space, and but he really tackles them hard. And like a same-sex race, uh, an entire race or an entire species that marries only same-sex. If someone is born a girl, they forcibly change their gender. Like, that is a heavy topic that is dealt oh, with in a funny sci-fi yeah. show. Interesting. Yeah. And- I, think, uh, I think Orville just got added to Disney+, Plus, if it I'm did. not mistaken, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it was on. It's on Hulu. Hulu picked it up after Fox canceled it. I think canceled it. Or maybe, yeah, maybe that's. Yeah. What it was. Nope, it did get picked up. Oh, it did. Disney Disney Plus too. Okay. It did just recently, and I just watched the last couple, a couple episodes with my parents recently, and it's just like with the Hulu and the production that he's gotten, he's gone way more. He's but bigger than when he's on Fox. Yeah, he's been given the freedom to do. Fascinating. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, yeah. Well, recapping my list quick before we get to number one. Number five, Clerks. Two. Number four, Ball Rats. Number three, Zach and Miri make a porno. Number two, Clerks. Three. A couple of honorable mentions. Number one, Chasing Amy. Chasing you love Amy. this movie. I <laughs> do. Even when we're dating, you talked about this. Movie. Yeah, I have always had an affinity for Chasing Amy, and you've kind of been poking at me yeah. about it recently. Like, why do you love this film so much? And 
Yeah, I've, I've thought about it a lot. I think there are many elements of it that I like. There's the core relationship between the two main male characters, um, Holden McNeil and his partner, Banky. Banky, yeah. They, uh, they draw comics together. They're really successful. Um, but there's a lot of friction when Holden chases a girl. And it turns out this girl is gay. And they end up getting together and they fall in love and she tells him that he is the only guy that she's been with which is a lie she's got a very colorful sexual history and when he finds out about it he blows his mind and he decides the only logical resolution is to have a threesome with his partner who he decides secretly loves him and his partner who has a much more colorful sexual history than him and he somehow thinks that this will magically fix everything and it turns out he was wrong and he winds up alienating both of them so like this this very traditional straight-laced sexually like a very straightforward guy man loves woman a couple is a man and woman sex is man and woman penetrating and that's the only like definition of it and this film that's the main character and this film explores different aspects of sexuality like there's a great scene in the final confrontation between holden and amy where she says well maybe you were given a map or maybe you knew point a to point b in your life but nobody gave me a map and so i tried it all and i saw what sticked and i've always i've always really liked that because we talked a little bit early about how kevin smith helped me accept like the wide range of sexualities in that are possible in the world and this film really puts a point on that it's like there's a lot of different people and a lot of different interests out there or a lot of different needs or a lot of different perspectives and like you know just because i may have my own stuff figured out my own path figured out not everyone's gonna follow that and like there can be disastrous consequences if you don't accept people for who and what they are i think that's why i like chasing amy so much I mean, I remember watching the film because you shared it with us when we were together early on, and it's the impression of it stuck with me. I just can't remember the details, so I remember the impression that it was a good film. And talking to you, I can sort of get the details back. And again, it's something that he's willing to touch on, Mm -hmm. taking people that have a certain viewpoint and trying to put them in the situation you know and getting us the audience to think about it you know it's like should she really let go if she really fell in love with him then yes she should maybe be with him but he was not willing to grow up and realize that she was willing to be with him he was trying to do something because make the situation right but in the end, accepting someone is truly loving them. And so it's just, he is taking a situation and trying to have us think about it, not black and white, but all the rainbow, the multicolor mm-hmm. of everything of that situation. It's kind of interesting because that's like probably a decade and a half ahead of its time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's, it's, that's something that's a much, much more widely known and discussed now. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's still people that can't see that, can't get their heads around it. Like you, he could release that movie now and it would still be like groundbreaking to some people like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I never thought about that that way. Uh, It would be fewer people than back in the late nineties, early two thousands. But, uh, but yeah, so it is fascinating, like going back and thinking about what that movie is about, um, in the context of what life is like now. Another thing that I appreciate this film for, it's the first film that I can think of that had prominent gay characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, 
like it normalized gay people i grew up in a small town like we had a very small community like i don't know we were all white and like all very straightforward like kevin smith and movies like help expand at least my horizons and like i can't think of an earlier film that i enjoyed that had like central characters that were gay it is hard to be put on the spot to think of the one. bird cage was came that... out after i think that oh, was, was after? i think that was late 90s okay what year did chasing amy come out uh, i didn't write it down i want to say there's a couple years after mall rats right i think uh clerks was 94 maybe 96 for mall rats maybe 98 for chasing okay. amy because Jane Silent Bob Strike Back was around 2000. Yeah. When did Birchcage come out? I want to say that was late 90s. So it might have been around the same time. time. But that's two characters with prom or two films that we've thought of with prominent mm-hmm. gay characters yeah. from the 90s. Like, it's interesting. Like, yeah. I mean, well, God I bless mean, us for being more woke as a culture now. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you got... Is that phrase going to get me canceled? Like, no, I use that no, no, no. Right. You used it right. Um, Best Friend's Wedding. I can't remember when that came out. But you have... The friend um, that is gay that, you know, in the end she shifts her friendship from her male best friend to this friend. But I can't remember what year that came out. Um, but um, You've never seen it. I have no idea. Chasing Amy was also the birth of Bluntman and Chronic. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that this film has the best use of Jane Silent Bob in it. Like they're in it. They're a part of it. But very bit characters um and very very funny when they're on screen like i just i really it's my favorite use of the characters um i don't know we'll talk about maybe other favorite uses of the characters yeah can't wait well what did we miss on my definitive list of the top five kevin smith things tweet your thoughts at tom sidlogic oio on twitter that's at tom sidlogic oio on the twitter um quick side note kevin smith you have to it's like it's amazing he has two big influential characters mm-hmm. he has stan lee that he's really good friends with and george carlin mm-hmm. i mean how did he get to know george carlin because george carlin is in jersey girl too mm-hmm. and besides, he's in quite a few of his movies yeah it's like it's like i don't know he he must be a person that people love to hang out with because they i mean stan lee seemed to love hanging out and he had the script of mall rats in the movie of in captain marvel, marvel. yeah, yeah. that's one a, of my favorite stan lee uh cameos cameos yeah yeah and so i mean it's just it says something about his character mm-hmm. you know as a person it's just people seem to like him as a person you know but, and he's very loyal to his people yeah we're moving on now to clerks 2 released in 2006 this is smith's seventh film it scored a 65 on metacritic the original clerks had 70 clerks 2 65 clerks 2 brings dante and randall back together the quick stop burns down so they are working at movies a fast food restaurant it's dante's last day he is leaving in the morning for florida with his fiance. Over the course of the day, Randall harasses customers, torments their new co-worker Elias, and Dante is once again being pursued by two women who are both out of his league. He settles he settles for Rosario Dawson. Rough life. <laughs> <laughs> so, coming back to this film, I wanted to talk about our memories of from the film again. Phoenix, you had never seen Clerks 2 before. Correct. You watched it with me before we even knew that you are going to be on this show. Yep. Um, what I remembered from this film was that it was set around fast food and that the boss was pregnant. That was 
all I retain from this film <laughs> from when I first watched it around the time it came out in 2006 until now. I had forgotten a bit. Burns, oh, wow. What did you carry with you from this film? Um, I remember quite a bit more than that. Um, I, I remembered the one ring to rule them all <laughs> and Elias holding up the onion ring. I remember there was another nerd, but I completely forgot about I that. I did kind of forget making the nerd throw up by dissing Lord of the Rings so much, <laughs> which is a great movie, a great scene. Um, I also, so yeah, what, whenever that movie came out, 21, 22, 23 year old me wanted this like hardcore was in love with Rosario Dawson because she is, she is so charming in this movie. Um, and then the other thing that like is always like in my mind about this movie is I'm taking it back. I'm, I'm taking it back. Uh, with Porch Monkey for Life and uh, the whole bit around that, which I think is really, it's an interesting, it's an interesting subject. And I'm kind of glad that he included it in the movie. Well, let's talk about that. That's arguably the most outlandish thing across yep. all three of the Clerks movies. Randall, one of the main characters, doesn't realize that his grandmother was a horrible racist. Yes. So he uses the term Porch Monkey in front of an African-American person. Played by Wanda Sykes, who had a spot-on reaction to it. And then first, there's a whole scene between Dante and Randall where Dante tries to explain that everything that Randall's grandmother had ever said was racist. Mm -hmm. Because Randall's just listing off all these phrases that his grandmother used to say. And then Randall's like, well, I'm not a racist, so this isn't a racist thing that I'm saying. And he tapes Porch Monkey for Life on the back of his... uh, work outfit and he decides to try to work it in throughout the day to take it back and to normalize it and to make it a proper part of the English language. What a silly random thing in this film. Yeah. Well, because what it gets to is it gets to that whole concept of, you know, the people that we idolize as kids can't be wrong, right? And, you know, because you're in a moment of innocence, it it's not something that's wrong, right? And it's you know, he didn't even know that she was necessarily referring to African-Americans. She was just calling him a porch monkey. And he thought it was because he just sat on the porch all day and wasn't yep. doing anything and was being lazy. Um, and, and so I think it's it's just an it's an interesting way to like stir the pot. Just Well, to stir the pot. But it's also it's an interesting way to kind of get at the point of everybody comes from like a different set of circumstances and a different set of influences and they don't necessarily always understand where some of that stuff was coming from and and maybe what that all is there now it's an extreme example of it i don't know that anybody could make it that long and not understand that that's a racial slur (laughs) um, which is why every single other person's reaction in the restaurant is spot on and like like you know and just like how could you say that you know uh, but I think it's I think it's it's interesting because it gets back to the whole it, it's something that I always try to think about as a person in general, not necessarily from this perspective, but just whenever somebody has a viewpoint, you always have to think about where does that viewpoint come from and what experiences did that person have in their life um, that leads to this point um, and in an interesting sort of side point on that. So how do you explain all of Trump Nation? <laughs> uh, 
that's a much deeper topic that we're not going to get into. But one example I had was, um, so I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of the podcasters are from like, um, California and so on and so forth. And, and, and video game podcasts specifically is what I listen to a lot of. And there's been a lot of like talk and consternation around the Harry Potter Hogwarts yeah. video game that's coming out. Why? So it's so there's this game that's all about it's like an RPG where you're going to Hogwarts and it's like hundreds of years before Harry Potter existed um, and you get to create your own wizard and you go through school and you fight these battles and so on and so forth. Yeah, blah, 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 sounds blah, blah. awesome. So um, a few years ago, uh, J.K. Rowling's ran afoul of the LGBTQ plus community um, mm-hmm. because she had some very, very kind of. I guess the best way to put it, ill-phrased views on uh, transsexuals mm-hmm. um, and basically how she is very, anti- she's anti-transsexual. And it's interesting because, you know, hearing a lot of things from people that, you know, are transsexual, um, you know, and they're very kind of, they feel like they've been wrong because it's something they loved as a kid and it's been taken away from them. Because they found out that the person that created it is a bigot towards them or towards people that they know or people that they're allies with. Um, And I can completely understand that. Um, What's interesting about this is um, I was talking about that with like another friend. um, And it's interesting because he brought up like why he supported like the things that J.K. Rowling said and pointed out the background as to where like some of those commentaries came from. So apparently J.K. Rowling um was like in a very abusive relationship at one point in their life um i think it was a husband that she had divorced or whatever and she ended up going to a battered woman shelter and so her viewpoint whether it's correct or not is that her her concern is that if her husband would have been able to say that he identifies as a woman he would be able to go to that shelter then and then would be able to go and like basically be there and abuse her again or kill her or whatever. Cause that's where she thought that it was getting to at that point. Um, Interesting. And so, so it's like the whole perspective thing, like that's the perspective she's coming from now. Granted the way she said things and maybe how vociferous she has been about that viewpoint um, hasn't necessarily explained that nuance, but it's, it's all kind of wrapped around that whole, like you're not co- completely fully understanding the perspective that someone's coming from. And so does that necessarily make them the evil person that you're pointing them out to? Um, and so then in a comedic way, that's where Randall saying porch monkey, he's not necessarily like, you know, a Klansman because mm-hmm. he's saying that it's coming from this sort of this, you know, sort of point in his life of how he got confused on what that term meant. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I think that's always something that I try to like, just look at. And it's like, if somebody says something that doesn't necessarily make them evil, they've come to this conclusion, whether it's right or wrong. Um, and so to take that in and internalize that and think about like how someone became that way. We've been friends for a long time, Burns, and I mm-hmm. just learned something about you, which maybe should have been apparent, but you are a much more empathetic person than me. Like, when I hear J.K. Rowling's inflammatory statements, like, I just say, all right, stay away. Just stay away. Just uh, don't touch that. Don't poke at that. Don't. I don't, like, 
think about J.K. Rowling's perspective and like what colored her view and what pushed her in that direction. I just avoid it because it's like there is no good that comes from touching that. Phoenix, one of the things that we talk about often yeah. is separating the artist from the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, yeah. uh, one example that we have the bigger one, the big one, Michael Jackson. You love Michael Jackson oh, music yes. without. Uh, supporting Michael Jackson as a person and some of the actions in his life. Well, that's the thing. Like Joey has talked about, you know, we don't fully understand Michael Jackson's upbringing, mm-hmm. you know, what he went through and everything. And, you know, we don't know the full story of right. everything. But, yeah, it's that whole debate. It's like we talked to our niece and she does not want to listen to Michael Jackson music because of... Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you kind of... You know, his music's incredible. His songs are wonderful and beautiful, and I love them. And it's just, that's the thing. Can you enjoy a piece of work without supporting the person behind it who created it? I mean, there's probably, like, a lot of painters back in the history that people Mm -hmm. love their artwork, not realizing what they were, the individual, unless we really dig into who Mm -hmm. they were. You know, it's just... And I think once the art exists, like, it stands as its own thing. Like, you can read and enjoy Harry Potter without supporting J.K. Rowling. Yeah, yeah, she's gonna get some more money in her pocket, but guess what? She has like a giant <laughs> castle already. It's like mm-hmm. that that is already cast in stone. Like yep. once something is created into the world, like it's public domain for us to consume yeah. and comment and on and discuss. The the argument and the concern though is is by buying those things or so by buying this game and J.K. Rowling's makes money off of this, you're supporting someone who has a viewpoint that doesn't think that you should exist. And so that's where that other perspective comes from, where mm-hmm. it's like, I, you know, if if I was a trans person, would I feel comfortable buying a Hogwarts game knowing that $2 is going towards J.K. Rowling? And if I'm talking about it, other people are going to buy it and she's going to be making more money, um, which she could funnel towards other organizations to say that I shouldn't exist as a person. I'm going to say this, and I believe that I could be wrong on this. Uh-huh. I see that argument more with a book or something that's created by J.K. Rowling by yeah. one person. A video game, I think it's hard to say that, or a movie, because there are a lot of people that work on it, a lot of people that touch yep. on it. There are, thinking of a game specifically, there are people writing the script. There are mm-hmm. people performing all of the voice acting. There are probably a billion artists working yeah. on that game. There are producers bringing everything together. Like it's With a video game, it's hard to say that you're just supporting J.K. Rowling yeah. and purchasing that because there are a lot of people that go into making well, games. Well, a thousand percent. And for years yeah. they've been working on that game. Like years. And there's so much nuance into a video mm-hmm. game. Like we just, I shared with Tom recently with the Instagram. They hire people to do the sound effects and she showed a clip of a video game mm-hmm. and her with the little pack of snow walking yep. the boots. She has to do the noise for every single thing yep. in the video game. And Again, you're correct. I mean, something as big as a video game, you know, you have to take into account the people, the other people behind that yep. wall. It's yeah. hundreds, thousands of people yeah. working on that one thing, similar to a movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is where, so then it's like you could go on an extreme thing and it's like, hey, we shouldn't buy how many of the um, Kevin Smith movies because Harvey Weinstein is a piece of shit, right? Yeah. Um, or... Then, like, one of the other sort of tangentially related things, like Kevin Spacey, all the stuff that's come out about him. And, like, 
Sure, it kind of feels weird if you go back and watch Usual Suspects and see, you know, his face and you're thinking about, like, the things that he did. Um, allegedly, somewhat proven. I guess I don't know where it's at in the legal system right now. But it's just like, so So it is weird and it can be difficult to sometimes separate the art. I do agree with you on, like, the video game specifically because it's like so many other people are putting so much more time into it than she is. And it's just... I do get concerned we just throw the baby out with the bathwater too often than not. Um, I think it's good to have nuanced discussions about things, oh, yeah. especially like like we're having right now, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's important to understand perspective and yeah. to think about that and to because then that all leads to you internalizing it. And yes, I'm an extremely empathic, empathetic person. <laughs> well, I just I you put it perfectly, you know, Randall. In his innocence of a child, mm-hmm. you know, he loves his grandma. He loves thinking back on his grandma. And it's just to him, it's an innocence thing. And he does it beautifully, Kevin Smith. Um, like you talked about, someone who has a different perspective, who doesn't understand their grandma is racist. And being forced to come to grips with this reality. And it's a great piece that he put together with that and Wanda Sykes was incredible and mm-hmm. her the actor who played her husband was good the way he was approaching the situation yeah. but <laughs> wanting the food <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just you know it just shows how you can be clever in approaching certain subjects mm-hmm. without you know he did it with just a little piece here with this movie and bringing dogma and he he took a full blow movie to do on. So, I mean, mm-hmm. people who are like Kevin Smith and using the medium that they have to maybe just bring some discussion into the equation, like chasing Amy, the discussion about love and what does it mean? And labels. Yeah. Right? Labels. So honey, that was a great transition. That was so smooth. <laughs> I wanted to do one more point on the trans thing. If we are wrong and if we are actively working against, trans people like i'd like to hear it like mm-hmm. um we don't want to disparage anyone or like belittle anyone's opinions viewpoints perspectives so if we're wrong on our thoughts about trans and supporting a hogwarts game uh email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com or shoot me a note on twitter and uh let me know how we can help or yeah or just yeah be more cognizant or be better yeah, yeah. or be better uh, one of the things that stood out to me about Clerks 2, Jennifer Schwabach-Smith nails the girl that every guy thinks that they want. Dante was in an interesting position because this hot chick is in love with him. She's got a lot of money. They're going to move to Florida. He's going to get a new job working for her dad. And, like, in theory, that's like that sounds like what every guy wants, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it checks all the boxes. And Dante has to choose between that and what his heart actually wants in Rosario Dawson. I thought that was a really interesting element of this film, how he kind of navigated that situation between the two of them. Well, so it's because it's that whole, what is someone looking for? Are they looking for the prototypical trophy wife with the job and the connected family and the easy living, or do they want the best friend, right? And that's kind of the two juxtapositions of those two characters. For the record, I got both. See, well, see, that works too. Um, I have to say this is where the cleverness of Kevin Smith's writing is because for me watching it the first time I don't know who this chick is you know Mm -hmm. find out she's engaged to him but it took Rosario 
Rosario. Uh, Rosario's character to explain, oh, she's giving you the easy way. Uh, mm-hmm. No, she wants to be with you because she's ever had every hot guy and she can tell you what to do. So he did a clever way of trying to explain the whole situation through that conversation. And because you don't get it right away until that conversation, for me at least, mm-hmm. when I was watching the film. So, and it just shows how well he's able to craft that together, you know, that piece of work. So. I think the other thing with like the, that sort of love triangle or whatever, mm-hmm. I think the thing that they did a really good job with in the movie was, you know, because her character should be like sympathetic, right? And, and so the fact that like how everything broke down, even though you're kind of on like, you know, team Dante and team Becky, right? You know, you mm-hmm. want them two to get together at yeah. the end, but there's this third party that's going to be crushed, right? Yeah. And, and she didn't really do anything wrong. Like, no, no she, maybe she she's maybe she settled. You can debate whether or not <laughs> that's a that's yeah. a crime. Yeah, uh, but she didn't. Emma didn't do anything wrong in this film, and like. It's an interesting point that you bring up that she's the collateral damage for Dante mm-hmm. to get what he wants. And then good guy Jay is there to just say, yeah, throw this cake in his face. <laughs> and, and like he's the one that's like leading to her like getting hers out of the whole situation too and making sure that she you know, has a cheerleader behind her, which I thought was a kind of clever move, but it's also like a really funny bit. And it's just talking about Jay, it's like... Um how Kevin was able to seamlessly bring those movies together but because of those two characters in ways because they go to the party but that's where they get caught by the cops so they have to go into rehab and so that you find out what happened between for Jay and Silent Bob what happened for them yeah, you know in the process of between the two films. Mm-hmm. It was a very clever tie. Yeah, well and it's also interestingly enough um, like Cause that, so on the Clerks 2 DVD, well, there's a second DVD that came with the set that I had that had, like, the making of Clerks 2. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, that's literally, like, Jason Mewes had just gotten out of rehab. Oh, interesting. Um, because, basically, like, he kind of hit, like, rock bottom okay. on, like, heroin and all this other stuff. And, like, had kind of, like, cleaned everything up. Partially because, you know, Kevin Smith said, you know, you're killing yourself. But also, he's just like, well, we're not going to make... Because at one point, he said he's not making another one of, like, the Jay and Silent Bob movies simply because, like, he wasn't going to make another movie because Jay needs to get his life... Jason Mewes needs to get his life figured out. Okay. Um, And so that's why he had said at one point that he was moving away from it. But then, like, he kind of cleaned himself up and then he had the idea for Clerks 2 after he had a couple of flops at the box office and so it was just like okay this is what i want to make now interesting yeah huh. so it's, it's 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 neat how he does that and how he also like sort of integrates like real life into sort of those characters mm-hmm. um or specifically at least for jay anyway mm-hmm. i guess for you guys um the character um so elias or- elias, elias yep. yes <laughs> We're both snickering because we just watched. It's Clerks so 3. hard. It's going to be so hard to talk about Elias yeah. without thinking about Clerks Three. But oh, okay, you know, it's just um, Dante and Randall still kind of have their back and forth, but not as much as from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And so well, Dante's I, got more going on. Like he's talking to his fiance. He's talking with Becky. Like he's he's well, 
Anyways, playing the field. His girlfriend, Caitlin, came in. He had this customer, so I, mm-hmm. I you know. But um, how do you guys feel about the matchup between Randall and Elias and the Clerks, too? Um, well, one of the things that I thought was most interesting about it was how nerd culture had passed Randall by. Like, he was still stuck on Star Wars, mm-hmm. but the customers and Elias and the young people were all talking about Lord of the Rings. I didn't appreciate that when I saw that film because, like, you know, yeah. everything was still young and cool and, like, you know, nerd stuff is awesome. Uh, but watching it now and being a little bit older, it's like, oh, that must have been really hard to, like, see the shift away from these beloved properties that Randall holds so dear and suddenly hobbits are taking center stage and it also being part of a time capsule where the prequels had started to come out and they weren't as good as people thought they were and so like that's part of it too right (laughs) uh and and so but hey randall would have gotten it when the hobbit came out and then he would have been able to shove that back in elias's face i've already cursed about that film (laughs) no more hobbit references it's interesting like just thinking about now it's like you got the original star wars the best you got L-O-T-R, the best. Yep. Hobbit, crap. Prequel, Star Wars, crap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of interesting how they're similar. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking about this earlier today, too. Like, Elias is, like, the more perfect foil for Randall's character, right? Well, it's good and evil. It's very <laughs> exactly. much extreme, like, Christian good person versus <laughs> near an anarchist Randall. Yeah, and, and so I think that's... Also, what makes it interesting, and with Dante being busy and having all these other things going on, it, it's it, it makes it interesting to have Randall have that person to be, you know, to to sort of be his counterpart and foil to bounce off of. Um, but I do think they also somewhat have positive influences on each other, right? To some extent. I, well, <laughs> positive. It's hard to say positive to see where Elias goes at the end of Clerks too. Yeah. Um. Um. I guess enlightening for both of them. <laughs> I opening. I don't know where we can go with it. Yeah, we'll, we'll stick with enlightening when he's <laughs> masturbating to the donkey show. Well, it's just um, they both have their own innocence. I mean, because Elias is very innocent in his as far as sexuality, but he kind of brings Randall in because Randall doesn't realize someone can be so innocent, and he's kind of innocent mm-hmm. to understand this person if i'm making sense here but you know it's just you know randall has dante and has viewed the world as one way and to be Mm -hmm. with this character who is just doesn't know the way the world works the way he talks about his girlfriend how we can't she they can't have sex and it just randall couldn't take because it just blew his mind Mm because he couldn't talk because it's like this innocence is just, you know, too much for him. But yeah. Randall was remarkably delicate in that scene, given yes, his was. character. Like he, uh, I would have expected just something horrible about the trolls. I guess in ways it shows his respect somewhat to mm-hmm. Elias that he just was just gonna let it. <laughs> well, and it's it's like he says at one point too that like, you know, Dante's going to be gone soon and so like Elias you have to like you're my new best friend like we have to and so part of him is him trying to mold Elias into that person because it's like he's going to be all that he has Um, I guess that's true I guess thinking about it now I didn't catch it while watching the film but it's just Randall creating a friendship that he's used to but he's coming from an older Mm -hmm. generation with different nerd references 
and he's trying to meet halfway with someone that is from newer nerd nerd references. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of an interesting them trying to figure out how to make it work. But unfortunately, all nerds hate everyone who doesn't nerd out what the same stuff that they nerd about. Yep, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, always. Do you guys think that Dante was intentionally written to be an unlikable character? One scene that stands out to me in this film is when he finds out that Becky is pregnant with their love child, and like he immediately, immediately tells Randall, like, and how that spirals out of control. It's uh-huh. like, is Dante just supposed to be this hapless idiot that we hate? That's- generally, the main protagonist is a film that you of a film is someone that you're supposed to kind of like, but generally, I think Dante's an idiot. I think Dante's more likable in Clerks 2 than he is in the first Clerks. Um, but I, I think it's just that he... Okay, I guess look at it from maybe this perspective. Like, everybody needs that one person to, like, I just heard the craziest crap. I need to tell somebody, right? Yeah, it's usually what I say when I show my wife my text messages. <laughs> right, exactly. Or so, like, like you're... Look what I said this time, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like... When you're trying to process something, sometimes you have to bounce that off of somebody else yep. in order to try to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because, like, the moment he's telling him he knows this is a mistake and he's telling him you can't say anything to anybody knowing he already made the mistake. And then instantly he realizes that the mistake becomes reality, right? Um, which, I don't know. And then he tries to punch him and then hits the movies sign instead, which, I don't know, the whole, like... The the and just how it ramps up at that bit, I think, is just hilarious. How it just all like snowballs super fast. Um, Dante Dante is a weird character, I think. Um, from what you were saying, he's guess, hard to get behind as a protagonist because of how hapless he is. Right? Is he is he just more human than the standard movie protagonist? Mm-hmm. Like, I hate humans, dude. Well, it's just, I guess we've had this discussion. There's some people that we know that just have this gumption to go out and do something. Like you went out. Chased the dream, man. You chased the dream. You went to the East Coast. You um, interned. And then you got this other job. You, Where there's other people that just don't seem to have that drive mm-hmm. to leap over to continue what they want to do they think of things but they just don't seem to have that drive to do it you Mm -hmm. know some people seem to have it other people don't and i guess dante's written in that way of people from that that just don't have that drive Mm -hmm. they're just kind of looking for and as a person with that drive or hustle as we like to call it (laughs) it is very hard for me to empathize with people who don't have it and i don't mean to be a like i don't mean to be mean but it's just so foreign to me it's like i don't like if i wanted to marry phoenix so i dated phoenix and i just wore down until she said yes (laughs) that's just kind of how i am with life yeah i just it's interesting people are made up of different makeups and um yeah dante just doesn't is the representative of a certain type of people that just don't have the hustle or the drive they mm-hmm. just want life to kind of fall in their laps to tell them what to do mm-hmm. i think because they just don't really want to make the decision for themselves because they don't want to find out that they're wrong in their decision and then he like he had the golden ticket for that and emma like he had that life like all lined up and then he kind of messed it all up but well, yeah. That was it all being handed to him, right? Well, it's handed to him, but if he did do it, he'd be sitting down in Florida, just the same thing, like going to the same dead-end job, working the car wash, you know, probably just 
not really knowing what to do with his life. Right. You know, it's just, you know, in ways he is someone that needed like Emma who told him what to do. Yeah. But, you know. So I think it's it's one of those things then where he actually finally does make a decision. decision. Yeah. And he decides that he wants to be with Becky by the end of it. Granted, he needs the catalyst of her saying she's pregnant. Well, right? he also needs um, the fight uh, yep. between him and Randall mm-hmm. to finally wake up to making, finally make the decision that yeah. he sort of made on the rooftop, but he kind of lost sight of that decision after the dance you know but well and just like the indecisiveness of yeah. like well should i really be doing this and like and this is like the life i'm supposed to have yeah. is to go down to florida and make the money and have the have the wife and all that stuff um and i don't know like he finally made a decision does he get rewarded for that decision that's a topic for later on in this podcast yeah we'll get to that a little bit later <laughs> what i think is interesting between the three of us, I like this film quite a bit, and I am in the middle of the spectrum on this film. Let's start with the negative first. Phoenix, <laughs> you didn't enjoy this film that much. Where did this film struggle for you? Okay, I enjoyed it because I watched it Clerks 2 before I saw Clerks 1. I, I believe you said you hated it with a fiery, burning I did passion. not. You're playing... <laughs> <laughs> Watching it the first time, I enjoyed it for what it was. I enjoyed the relationships and, you know watching to see what happens does he finally make the right decision be with becky or does he kind of like let life lead him by the leash type thing you know mm-hmm. and i'm on team emma for the record <laughs> oh really hashtag team emma um you know i guess watching clerks and thinking between those two films it's like i miss the rawness of the first film Mm -hmm. the dialogue between him and randall where you know finally ken smith has the money and to me clerks too has more of a glossiness over Mm -hmm. it It has more of a feel of what you expect from a cinema movie Mm -hmm. i like that like when i watch a movie i want to see a movie (laughs) like i like that level of polish where like clerks could be a play you could actually put it on stage and you know so it'd probably be better because it'd be better acted I know the acting a little bit, but you know, it's just, I guess I truly enjoy Clerks more than Clerks 2 because to me, I feel like, um, there's a little more gloss to Clerks 2, um, maybe a little bit more pushing on this type of this humor and this type of that Mm -hmm. humor instead of having the natural cadence to conversations that the first film have, I guess is why I prefer the first one over the second one. So. I'd take the second one solely on the grounds of Rosario Dawson. Well, <laughs> Burns mentioned she was incredibly charming in this film, but Burns, I'll turn to you here. This is your favorite Kevin Smith movie. Um, No. not It's your favorite Clerks movie? It's my favorite Clerks movie, yes. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Where, it's, it'd be in my top five for sure of my of Kevin Smith movies. Um, Like, I don't think Mallrats is my favorite, but it's like my favorite, if that makes sense, you know, Nostal- it's not Those the best directly. One. It's not the best other. one, nostalgia but it might nostalgia, nostalgia wise. It might be my favorite. Mm-hmm. I also, even though I know you hate the movie, I really like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I should like, give it another chance. My main issues with Jay and Silent Bob was I thought it was entirely silly and like in really weed based, which is funny given that I said how much I love Seth Rogen movies. That's <laughs> true. Those <laughs> well, are all weed based. Your Highness. Yeah. <laughs> that was a D and D movie. That was not a weed movie. <laughs> But uh, so 
for for me, so there's some some of those things though of this like having more money. Like mm-hmm. so, for instance, one of the things that strikes me about Clerks two compared to the first Clerks is that it has um, like music at different points. That's um, true. That's like actually like very important to setting the mood of like a scene or a montage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like 1979 when like Dante's out driving trying to figure out what he wants in life. Um, and then like all of the other characters are like thinking about different things or trying to process like all the stuff that's happened in this day. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting also like, I think the actors are much better actors than oh, they yeah. were at that point, too. Literally everyone in the film is better than everyone in the first and, film. And I think, actually, especially Randall, like, there's there's more nuance to his character in this movie. Granted, he's given the opportunity to have more nuance in this movie, too. Um, but, like, like some of his scenes and, like, just, like, the emotion that he has, um, especially at, like, the end, um, is just, like, really well done. Um, I thought it was a really strong point when he pointed out, like, you're leaving, man. Like, do you realize the impact that's going to have on my life and how much that, like, means to me? I thought that was a really yeah. strong emotional punch at that moment. Right. And, and so it, it's because it, it's interesting because everybody always puts things in their own perspective. Right. So Dante is always just thinking about I'm in this conundrum and I don't know what to do. I'm you not know? even supposed to be here. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, like. The whole like relationship going to Florida is the not supposed to be here today. I'm not supposed to be here tomorrow. Is basically what he's saying throughout yeah. the movie. Um, but and and so I think that's another reason why. Um, and I actually kind of like that it pushes the edge and the limits a little bit more than maybe the humor did in the first Clerks. Um, and I actually think it's difficult. Like I really like the representation. Uh, an inclusion of Jay and Silent Bob in this movie and Clerks 3, like those two would probably be tied for my favorite representations of those characters in, um, in a Kevin, in like the Kevin Smith movies. Um, just because they're, they're in it a little bit more and they like, they're, they're still kind of set dressing at points, but then they're like active at points. And it's funny because, supposedly watching like the making of clerks Two, silent bob was supposed to originally in the script was the one telling them to open the by the quick stop and open it oh, interesting and then like when they were filming um it was the jeff anderson the character the guy who played randall was like you know when i'm sitting there at movies and thinking like during that scene like I'm thinking, like, if I had my way, like, Dante would still be here and we would open the quick stop. And, like, so it should be his idea. And so, like, when Dante pushes him, it's like, what's your great idea, huh? He just blurts it out. And 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 then it's like, after he, when he blurts it out, he's like, yeah, that that's, that's what I would effing do, you know? And so I think it's interesting because... You know, they kind of allowed like them to take that step back at some of the parts, but then they're integrated a lot more in a lot of the other scenes um, and interspersed throughout. I think in Clerks 3, um, the fact that they're integrated even more with different pieces, I think, is clever and fun and, and interesting also. But well, I was just thinking, listening to you, it's just I enjoy dark comedy. So to mm-hmm. me, Clerks is a dark comedy where I think Clerks 2 Kind of it's a light sh- comedy. No, it's just more towards, I don't want to say 
your type of humor film. I don't want to say Tom your... type of humor film. <laughs> Please like, elaborate. Your Highness, those kind of I don't know how to explain this clearly, but um silly and irreverent I think would be the terms. Yeah, maybe, you know, where it just to me clerics has just more of the um I think everyday, it's... you know, dark comedy where you have the donkey and the erotica which isn't in Clerks 1 where just necrophilia that's true <laughs> necrophilia. which is worse yeah <laughs> let's know. let's have that topic right now which is worse <laughs> you know it you you don't see it they talk about it mm-hmm. versus you see it that was very graphic you know in clerks too so i mean i think that kind of it shifted more toward the plunge the pendulum kind of shifted more that way. So I guess that's my reasoning behind enjoying, you know. I think it's maybe a stylistic difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said that Clerks 1 was a more artsy film, a look at the day in the life. And I, I get that perspective. I think for me, I think Clerks 2 is more of a story. It's more of something I can lose myself and get swept up in mm-hmm. the momentum of it. And I think it's just a stylistic difference maybe yeah. that are mm-hmm. leading our different tastes here. Yeah. How elegant is that for the best <laughs> podcast host in the world yeah (laughs) he'll take care of it in post don't worry yeah he's awesome in post (laughs) for our final segment today we are going to break down clerks three it's just tom and joey for this segment is it just going to be tom and joey do you want to comment well, I can listen to you guys, but... Um, yeah, Feeney's still here. She hasn't questions. seen the film. <laughs> there's there's going to be some spoilers. We won't spoil, like, the end. We're, well, we're not going to spoil the biggest no. thing no, in this film. probably not. Uh, released September 13 of 2022, Clerks 3 is the final chapter of the Clerks trilogy. It currently has a 51 on Metacritic. <laughs> the film's with 70, 65, 51 on Metacritic. The crew returns to the quick stop. Rosario Dawson is dead. Randall has a heart attack and decides to make a movie about his life, i.e. clerks. Mm-hmm. Elias is the subject of a recurring joke that gets bigger and bigger, and the end of the film puts a definitive stopping point on the trilogy. Before we dive into this film, uh, there is a reviewer that I wanted to run his opinion past you, Burns. Okay. Michael O'Sullivan of the Washington Post said, Clerks 3 is a movie for diehard fans and diehard fans only. It's a strong point. I'll give you a second to think about it. I'll say diehard is a strong term here. Mm-hmm. Like, diehard Kevin Smith fans will love this film. Oh, yeah. They will love this film, yeah. I believe. Uh, but I think anyone that has seen Clerks 1 and Clerks 2 and has like any affinity for an irreverent sense of humor would enjoy this film. Yeah. I, I If you haven't seen Clerks 1 and Clerks 2, I don't know that any of it would make sense to you. Um, I think there would be some bits that you would think were funny, but the majority of it would, I think the majority of what they're trying to do in Clerks 3 would be lost on you. True. Well, Burns, what were your expectations going into Clerks 3? It's been 16 years since the second one released. It was 12 years between Clerks and Clerks 2, Mm -hmm. 16 years between Clerks 2 and Clerks 3. Did you think that you needed Clerks 3 in your life? Like, were you actively looking forward to this experience? I mean, I was looking forward to see what they were going to do next. Um, until I got into the theater, um, I didn't know that there was like that this was the definitive end. I was actually thinking, I was like, okay, so then Clerks Four is going to be when they're retiring, um, and then like you know, I'm not even supposed to go to Club Med today, <laughs> or or whatever, you know. 
Um, well, it's funny. We talked about another trilogy of films on this podcast. Phoenix was a part of this one. We did Bill and Ted. We did the <laughs> Bill and Ted trilogy where the third movie released something like 15 years yep. after the first two films came out. And honestly, we don't need another Bill and Ted in our lives, but it was a really good film that we both enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, it brought together... Yeah, I mean, it's they did a clever job of bringing the nostalgia of the first film in this new film. And so it's just... When directors are able to do that, to tie a lot of films together or make a trilogy or, you know, bring nostalgia from what we love from the original, it's... It, I mean, it, it's incredible when they can do that. So they brought the nostalgia of the movie... But did they remake the first movie in the third movie? No, I mean, you had aspects of the second movie in there, yeah. too. And... No, Bill and Ted took a completely new okay. direction. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay. But um, um, I do have a question because it's I noticed watching the um, Clerks 1 and then, you know, Clerks 2 and hearing you talk a little bit about it. He has a certain format for his Clerks films. How so? He has them, you know, going about their day, blah, blah, blah. Something happens. The opening montage is still there, yes. Yeah, it's like almost shot for shot the same as Clerks 1. Yeah. Huge fight between the two of them. Yep, check. Mm -hmm. And then somehow Randall fixes the situation by saying something. So... I just, it <laughs> yeah, just. This check. one maybe kind of, yeah, kind of moves away from that okay. a little bit. No, kind of, I mean, it, it does, yeah. but doesn't. It, yes, he does. Yeah, he fixes it. Yeah, he check fixes that box. It. Okay, because <laughs> it of. just, you know, I just realized, you know, watching the films and hearing you talk a little bit about it, it, it seems like it follows the same format a little bit. It's just them going on with their lives, you know, and then have a huge fight about women again and but i don't know about the third one and then you know they come together at the end you well know? the huge fight is usually around their differing philosophies like dante mm-hmm. believes that he can't change anything in his life randall believes that we're masters of our own destiny and i'd say that still holds true in this third film yeah i think randall is much more so so like i mean the whole setup like we talked about randall has a heart attack right which is in the know, trailer it's out there it's in the trailer and it's also you know, equal to Kevin Smith having a heart attack a few years ago and almost dying. And it was the Widowmaker, just kind of like it mm-hmm. was for Randall, right? Um, and so then, you know, Randall realizes at that point that he hasn't actually done anything. He's the master of his own destiny, but his whole, his decision for his whole destiny was to work in a convenience store for the whole, his majority of his life. So he had nothing to show for it. He's, no kids, no marriage, no, nothing, right? Yeah. So then he wants to make a movie, and he doesn't know at that point what he wants to do, and he just makes it about his life, um, and which was Inconvenience was the name of it, right? Yeah, yeah he was originally <laughs> called call it Convenience Stories, and then he pivoted to Inconvenience. Yep, which... Jay definitely said at one or two points, it's a terrible title. Multiple times. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> but uh, well, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's funny how meta this movie is because it's like, it's the character basically going back and retelling his stories. Um, it's, it's, and it's the filmmaker going back and having his characters 
retell his first movie. Um, well, it's almost like a joke that he did in the animated series. I was the just thinking of that too. Second episode of the animated series was a flashback <laughs> show. <laughs> so, like, they used the same clip from the original episode of the animated series like six times during it. It's kind of this funny <laughs> recurring gag, and he kind of rehashed that here. Okay. What I thought was interesting about this film was I watched Clerks 2 around the time it came out 16 years ago, and, like, mm-hmm. I've never had a desire to see another Clerks film. Never. Like, I enjoyed Clerks 2. It's like I never wondered what happened next for those guys. Like, they opened the quick stop, and that's probably where they died. But this turns out to be, like, a heartfelt and fitting conclusion to the trilogy. I would, mm-hmm. I would say this is one of the more cohesive film trilogies that I've seen. Right, even though it wasn't planned, right, um, to be a trilogy... Um, which is, I don't know, I guess some nerds would maybe argue, is it actually a trilogy then? Because typically I think in order for something to be a trilogy, it has to be something that's planned from the start to be like this start to finish. Ah, bullcrap. It's a continuation of (laughs) a story and characters. (laughs) I know. Um, which is why I maybe wouldn't be surprised somehow they do some, find some way to make a Clerks 4, but, um, I mean, it would be a different, it would be kind of a different movie, but yeah, I mean, they could. They could. Burns, what were the strengths of this film? Uh, so I think from from a humor standpoint, like the humor like still lands. And like I was saying before, I think I think this is one of my favorite uses of Jay and Silent Bob. Um, they get really wrapped into the production of this. Uh, yes. Silent Bob winds up being hired to film the movie. Yes. What was Jay's role again? He was just around and he, oh, was, he was in it. He was, he was in it and he was with Silent Bob for all of the shooting of the film. So yeah. they were constantly around. Yeah. Yeah, they were in charge of, of craft services, too, supposedly. But since they're in a convenience store, people could just eat what was in the convenience store. Um, so I, I think, I, I, yeah, so I enjoyed that about the movie. Um, I, I also think, like, similar to Clerks 2 with, like, the music inclusion at different points, uh, I really like that. Like, the very opening of it with the Welcome to the Black Parade uh, by My Chemical Romance, I thought was, like, awesome. An awesome way to, like, start the movie and set the tone along with like the montage that is almost shot for shot (laughs) exactly the same as the opening to the first clerks um and so i thought that was i thought that was great um i thought it was impressive how they weave the elements of the first two films together uh with the uh what was the last star wars movie that came out the last uh the last skywalker the rise of skywalker rise of skywalker i i panned the more recent Star Wars trilogy for constant rehashing, giant base that blows up planets. Mm-hmm. Um, this film takes a lot of elements from Clerks One, Clerks Two, and like revisits them, uh, brings back a lot of the same actors, like reenact those scenes in Randall's movie. Now, it's interesting to me that I hated when Star Wars rehashed, but yeah. for some reason this was a fun nod to the past movies of the franchise. Yeah, well, and especially, I mean, really, much more so Clerks One than Clerks Two. Um, seeing as how they're basically recreating the majority of Clerks 1 as this movie. Like, they threw in a couple of little things here or there to try to make it be Clerks 2. They did also, an awesome but. montage for Clerks 2. Yeah, they did. With the dancing cow. That was yeah. that was great. And the donkey show and, like, the catalyst that provided for the end of the film. Like, yep. I mean, there were a lot. There were nods to There were nods to but but But, so... I think one of the things that I thought was really neat was, you know, because basically a lot of the premise is that they're refilming almost like verbatim some of the same shots. Essentially, Randall's movie is Clerks. Yeah. And so it's funny because they brought back 
those actual people. Like, I think every living customer from the first film. Yeah, which is awesome. And they're all older now, which is really funny because, you know, the, the kid that was smoking cigarettes that got them busted is probably well over age now. Yeah. Uh, which is funny. <laughs> uh, but and so I think I think a lot of that was done really well, too. And I, I enjoyed those aspects of the movie quite a bit. Where did this film struggle for you? For me, there were instances when Randall was more abrasive than usual and more, I guess, maybe more self-involved than usual. He's always been abrasive. Through all three films, Randall mm -hmm. uh, is not afraid to spit water in customers' faces. In this yep. film, I felt like a lot more vitriol was directed specifically at Dante. And it just yes. felt a little out of character for Randall for me. Yeah, I think, I think that was part of it was that that was the only place that it was really directed in this movie. Um, and, and that was kind of a bummer. Um, I would say Dante's entire arc through this movie was like a major bummer for me. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I get kind of what the idea was behind it. Well, Kevin Smith clearly wanted to have an emotional punch and like, yeah, it was all centered around Dante and Becca and what happened with their relationship? Yep. And so it's like, okay, like that's where we're starting at. And I don't know. It's just, it was, it was, it was an interesting decision for, for that to be the path. Right. Um, and like we were kind of talking about with clerks too, and that, you know, he finally made a decision and, and how does that pay off? Uh, it's ripped away from him. Yes. And, and it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of a bummer. And it's like, you finally have this moment where you're hoping that this character that's been entirely unhappy for for the entire first movie. And I, I wouldn't say he's unhappy in the second one because he's like kind of trying to decide which happiness he wants. Right. Um, and then it's now it's just like, OK, yep. Nope. That's not the case anymore. Right. And so that's like that's kind of a bummer. And I think then it's piled on by the fact that like Randall ends up kind of being a dick to him more than anybody else, right? Even, like, he has the put-downs for Elias. Um, but, like, I don't know. It's not... It's not. It doesn't seem quite as mean-spirited as it does between him and Dante. Um, which is unfortunate, right? Um, and granted, like, they make good on that in the end, so to speak, right? But well, it's almost like an old married couple. Yeah. Like just old and bitter towards each other. Yep. Um, which I guess maybe that's what they were going for with it too. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And, and I guess, yeah, one of the things I, the Elias stuff is hilarious in this movie. Elias like, is incredibly is a, hilarious. It's a strength of this film. I maybe don't want to spoil this part. of No, it, I don't want to say anything about it, yeah. but I, I think I love Elias's character in this movie. For fans of the clerks movies leading up to this, Elias is in the film. His character takes a dramatic turn, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. And they just keep building on it and building on it and building on it. <laughs> I think it's just an incredible bit that just keeps getting better and better as the movie goes on. Yes. It's absurd. It's entirely absurd, uh, but it's hilarious. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, One of the things we talked about immediately after this movie was its place in the hierarchy of Clark, mm -hmm. Clerks films, because I love this. Did I call it my favorite? Yeah, I did call it my favorite Clerks movie. Yes. Um, I thought that it struck a tremendous emotional punch while also being really 
funny and having some heart too. Mm-hmm. Um, you came in at a slightly different pace with that. So uh, the way I look at it, I, I thought like Clerks Two also had like those emotional punches. Um, I felt like Clerks I Three. Mean, it's a different level. Like, it's a different some, level. There are some big. From my perspective, I thought um, Clerks Three almost kind of hit you with a mallet. It's like this is sad. This is bad. It sucks for Dante, doesn't it? Was it was sad and bad and sucked for Dante. But it's like it's like almost like to like a melodramatic level, right? Where it's like, or it's just like a tragic level. Like, I mean, tragic is a very fitting word for it. Yeah, Dante's life is a tragedy at this point. It's and so it's they, like it's like it's, it's, it that kind of sucks, right? For yeah. for it being a comedy movie, we but it's this, a tragedy. We took the sad sack character that we talked about not liking through the first two yep. films and made things even worse for him. Yeah, I I get where you're coming from. Yeah, and so so I think that's that's part of like where that kind of fell down on me, and where like at the end of Clerks Two, it's like their friendship is at its like zenith, right? And then, like you were saying, like the way Randall sometimes treats Dante in this and how he gets lost in like the movie is the most important thing, you know, and granted he had a near death experience. And and so like that's going to change people. And the doctor even sort of told Dante that after the fact, and you just kind of got to be there for him and help support him with it. Um, But like the fact that sometimes Dante was struggling with his own things ended up becoming a burden to Randall and Randall took that out on Dante. And that's like frustrating, especially knowing like where Dante was um, with things. Right. Yeah. I guess maybe that's where I struggled with the film and with Randall's portrayal in the film. Like he's always been with Dante. They've always had a symbiotic relationship. And in this film, like he's just that negativity. Like it seems like Randall is just different and for the worse. Yeah. And so, but I, you know, and I think it, it kind of, I guess when you're looking at it, maybe there's some sort of a correlation there where it's like, so for Dante to finally decide what he, you know, needed or what he wanted in life, you know, somebody needed to tell him that they were pregnant, right? With his child. Um, And then, yeah, like the things in Clerks 3 is what Randall needed to finally like realize how important Dante is to him, right? Um, You know, him, like Randall almost having a heart attack or having a heart attack and almost dying and so on and so forth. Um, and then like the other events of the movie. Um, and it's just kind of like, okay, I guess you needed to be pushed to that edge, um, to finally figure, figure it out. Um, even though you just said it at the end of clerks two, um, well, you know, just said it yeah. 16 years ago or however, 14 years ago, however long it was. Um, so I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of where it, it struggles with me. Um, and why I can't quite put it over clerks two as my favorite clerks movie. Um, I still think it's a great movie. I'd still recommend people go watch it and enjoy it. Um, if you haven't seen Clerks 1 or 2, you probably should watch them first before seeing Clerks 3. Because no, probably. You absolutely yeah. must watch the <laughs> yes. first two Clerks movies. I enjoy this film a lot. I I get where you're coming from with the characters, but I just I thought it was awesome. I didn't know that I needed an end to the Clerks story. I didn't mm-hmm. think I needed an end to the arc. Like I thought Clerks 2 was great how it ended on that uplifting note yep. and Dante and Becca, but like, now that this exists and now that it's out there, I am so thankful that I've seen these movies leading up to Clerks 3. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed it. I think it's I think it's well worth people going and seeing. Um, I, You know, and like I said, it's, it's really interesting seeing like the meta nature of it and like the correlations to um, to Kevin Smith's life a little bit. 
um, and kind of like writing that stuff into like Randall as a character. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a really, I think it's a really well-made movie. Um, it definitely has, you know, things to say. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I still think it's probably one of my favorite inclusions of Jay and Silent Bob as they're interwoven through the movie doing different things. So yeah, yeah. some, some funny bits. I, one of my favorite bits, and this isn't, this isn't ruining anything. So we've already talked about that. They're remake, they're making, you know, the movie and stuff like that, but the audition that they have. You know, so when we were talking about before, you know, maybe they could have had better actors do the first movie. And it was just kind of funny because you had like this audition where some of these people were like people that were like, oh, I was off Broadway and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's just like hearing them like do the lines and stuff like that. It's just like, OK, yeah, um, maybe you can't have better actors do this because <laughs> they're pretty bad <laughs> The audition monta- montage was pretty funny. It was really good. Vini, did we have a coherent discussion here? Do you have any idea what happens in Clerks 3 outside of what I said? Are you jonesing to see this movie? <laughs> no, it'll be it'll be. No! <laughs> <laughs> Which one? It'll be fun to see it. Um, especially when you said, like, the one female actress who was trying to ask Randall... Um, which two of these is good for the video and you said that she did it and she asked if she could do it as Lucille Ball and you said she was really oh, good as yeah. Lucille Ball. Yeah, that was just a very silly random it was. too. There's a lot of silly random fun things in this film. I wonder if that actually happened. I mean, the gal wasn't that old then. I wonder if that actually happened in the in the first movie, like when they were making the first movie. I'm guessing so. I'm guessing there were a lot of like inside secrets from the first film that made it in here. Like yeah. um, when Silent Bob says the iconic line of there's a million fine, fine looking women in this world. Most of them don't bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. And like they showed, uh, they had Jay try to say that Jason Mewes say that multiple times that he kept screwing up the line and kept screwing up the line. And then Kevin Smith just got exasperated and said, fine, I'll say it. He delivers it and then they walk out. Uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting, you know, to see, you know, the people older doing the film and just the, um, I guess just to have a, like a mon, I don't know, a nod to what Clerks the first one was mm-hmm. like and the, some pieces of the second one. So it'll be fun to see. So and one other point that I wanted to bring up that I, when we were leaving the movie theater, I remember bringing up. But with, like with Emma and how we were talking about in Clerks 2, she's a very sympathetic character. And I thought they did a really good job with her character. I was actually disappointed with what they did with that character in this movie because she comes off so much more as like a villain well, uh, she in was. the way that she's represented. And it's like, I mean, I, I get where it's coming from, but it's like, I don't know. It's just like that's. That's like the, the that's one other thing that kind of frustrated me because I thought they did such a good job of like not villainizing that character because she was the one that was wronged and now she's coming off a little bit as a villainous you know in the movie and that's like that's unfortunate like in the little bits that she was included in it. It's an interesting point that you bring up. We she was the character that checked all the boxes that Dante was supposed to marry and move to Florida mm-hmm. with in the third film. Uh, Dante calls her up and asks her to finance Randall's film. Randall, whom she hates and probably blames for the downfall of her relationship with Dante, and she agrees. She was portrayed as a villain in this film, but when Dante called her, she was there. Like she, True. she answered the call. She delivered the money. 
Um, and then she showed up to claim her collateral at the end of the film. They used the same music in that scene as yeah. when they introduced her in Clerks 2, which I thought was just a nice mm-hmm. touch. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think I thought it was interesting what they did with her. I think, yeah, she was vilified, but like uh, if she never moved on, like Dante never moved on at from phases in his life like she probably had a lot of bitterness and she True. had 15 20 years to stew about this and then suddenly when they call it's can i have some money that's true look randall almost died can i have some money we said that if we ever needed each other we'd be there. like dante guilt tripped her pretty hard like i i get why she was pissed um now to not end on a negative note i want to bring it back to a positive note um i'm really glad they included the bit in there about the asian design major because I was always confused as to whether it was an Asian person that was a design major or the person was like a major in Asian design. And I love that they made a bit out of it in the movie um, to the point where they weren't even sure. <laughs> yeah, that was very funny. It's a really funny film. Like if you have yeah. any affinity for the first two films, Clerks 3 is worth checking out. Do you need to pay movie theater prices? No, probably not. You can check it out on streaming, whatever comes out. But for someone, for me, having never had a major affinity for Clerks, like, I never truly fell in love with the first movie. Even now, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate it now. It's all right. It's fine. It's, it's I, I think, a masterpiece or one of the most important films of the <laughs> 90s is a little stronger statement that I'm willing to make. But, like, if you have any affinity for the first two Clerks movies, watch those first two and then watch the third one. It's, it's a very fun and fitting conclusion. And I like the emotional punch that it delivers. All of them. A uh, little side note, if you um, we caught the beginning of Jane Silent Bob reboot, uh, the quick trip is, um, the quick stop is in the um, beginning of that film. That's right. Dante. Technically, so is RST Video because the, yeah. the drug front that they're in and 90% certain they reference that in Clerks 3. Do I'm they? reading my Kevin Smith stuff um, a little jumbled uh-huh. in my head right now, but I'm pretty sure the establishment in Jane Silent Bob where they get busted in the beginning of the film is referenced in Clerks 3. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's just fun with Kevin Smith how he weaves different aspects yeah. of other films throughout his films. Though the interesting note, because after the movie, because um, it was Fathom Events that put it on or whatever, so there was like a mini documentary after the movie too. One of the interesting things they pointed out was in Jane Silent Bob reboot, um, that was the only time when they filmed the quick stop that it wasn't at the quick stop. It was in rebuilt Louisiana. in Louisiana. Oh, really? To look exactly like it on the inside and as close as they could get to it on the outside. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that was a cool thing. Also, we had like 84-ounce beers while we watched this film. <laughs> you didn't get up once to pee during this film. Like, I had to book it twice. Yeah, I, I did I did pee for like two minutes straight afterwards. But, I yeah, I was able – if it's in the evening, I'm usually okay. If it's in like the morning or early afternoon, like I, I pee like a racehorse all the time. Yeah, well, I'm fascinated that I never knew that about you. Yeah, that's getting old <laughs> – you know, and medications, that's what it does to us, you know? Yeah. Any other thoughts on Clerks 1, 2, or 3? This is arguably the last time we're ever going to discuss these films on the show. So here is an open forum. Feeney, your first time through with Clerks 1 and 2 is like, was this an enjoyable experience or do you wish that our original co-host had been able to make it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was an enjoyable experience. I really enjoyed um, watching the films. Um it's always fun to get a piece of what you've watched in your youth and what you've 
you know. You remember the first movie that I made you watch? What was the first one? Knocked up. Seth Rogen, boom. <laughs> that of all of yeah. the Well, movies? that's not dating, um, but you had me watch Knocked Up and... Yeah, when you came to visit me in Massachusetts. I think the first movie, Dating, that I chose for us to watch, I think was Fanboys. It was, yeah. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> also, Seth Rogen's in that film. <laughs> no, was Huge it, Seth Rogen Was it fan. Knocked yeah. Up or Forgetting Sarah Marshall first? Oh, I was Forgetting Sarah Marshall first, and then we watched Knocked Up yeah. after that. How could you forget? Yeah, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is like my favorite movie. <laughs> no, it's fun to... Um, experience these movies with you to get a piece of what you loved and grew up watching and have affinity for and like to quote and stuff so and the movies are enjoyable and i like kevin smith movies and have i made you watch basketball yes yeah okay i was gonna say there's, all no my way, bases. there's no way that couldn't be possible <laughs> yes i have seen it <laughs> burns your closing thoughts on clerks yeah i mean I'll agree with you that I never thought that it needed necessarily a third movie, but I'm glad they made it. Um, I don't know. I, I think they ultimately end up being three really good movies. It's a fun trilogy. Um, you know, probably the second best trilogy of all time behind Godfather, and I've never seen all, any of them other than the third one. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think it was. it's, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's, it's better than the Matrix trilogy. Well, yeah, because, you know... Well, that's a let's not open that ball of wax at the end of a podcast. Uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about one really good movie and two other movies that didn't need to exist. One of which completely invalidated itself with the third movie. But anyway, we're just yeah. gonna we're just gonna leave that be. Um, no, Clerks is great. Uh, it, it's definitely I think it's well worth watching. Uh, people should check it out. Uh, not necessarily any of my. Favorite favorite movies from Kevin Smith, but I still think uh, definitely definitely fun to, fun to watch and fun to, fun to fun. A lot of fun is had watching it. I mean, if you listen to Outside is Overrated regularly and like you're at all tickled by me, I think you'll enjoy these films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm basically Jason Mewes as a podcast host. <laughs> Schnugans. <laughs> Next month we'll be breaking down video game movies from the '90s. Burns, you did our video game movie show last year. You excited yeah. for this? You excited to get Doctor C back in the mic with us? Yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot to try to talk about and rank. Yeah, Feeny, what movies did we have on tap for that again? I know that Super Mario Brothers was one of them. Yeah, uh, you bo- you have the first two um, Mortal Kombat movies, Wing Commander, Wing Commander, Wing Commander. which. Side note, if anyone owns Wing Commander <laughs> and it's sealed, you can sell that movie for over 200 bucks. It's insane. It's because it's out of print. Yeah. Just on Blu-ray or DVD, too? I believe it's the Blu-ray edition. Yeah, yes. or if you have one that's uh, unsealed and can loan it to us to watch for the yes. show, that'd be terrific. <laughs> Boy, oh, movie night. <laughs> but it's um, Wing Commander and um, what was the other one? Um, Double Dragon. There's that one and Street Fighter, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to watch for this. Last year, it was three films, including freaking Tron. Tron. Yeah, it'll be a good time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Phoenix at Phoenix Logic OIO on Instagram. For Joey at HobbyBoxBurns and Twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns, I am Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids.
Hello and welcome to Outside and Over... <laughs> so excited for the funny joke I'm going to make. 